This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good Monday morning to you all. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Jeff Simpson and, of course, Terry South joining me this morning. Uh, Tragedy in Las Vegas. Boy, the largest, I guess, mass shooting in the United States uh, in the history of the United States. 50 dead. 50 dead. 400 plus is what NBC News is reporting. uh, Injured. Reported at the hospitals. Uh, Lone shooter on the 32nd or 33rd floor of Mandalay Bay. Takes aim at a country western, uh, whatever we call it. A it's a concert. concert. Yeah. yeah. Festival of sorts. Anyway, tragedy has struck. And so let's get right to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on that we should be paying attention to? Uh, the man suspected of shooting and killing at least 50 Sunday evening at a concert in Las Vegas, identified as Stephen C. Paddock, 64 years old from Nevada. Uh, worst mass shooting in U.S. history, according to the reports. Paddock lived in a retirement community in Mesquite, Nevada. Officials confirmed the gunman was dead. He allegedly opened fire from a, a window on the 32nd floor of the nearby Mandalay Bay Hotel and Casino. Uh, it was the Route 91 Harvest Music Festival, three-day festival going on. It was uh, taking up a large um, parking lot-looking type area just yeah. right across the street from the, the hotel. If you look at the maps that they're showing on the news that I saw this morning, 50 dead, 200-plus injured was one report. Then just uh, last few minutes came out 460 taken to the hospital. So that could be for any number yeah. of reasons. Well, you tramplings, know, just, yeah. I mean, everything was Shock, who knows, yeah. whatever. Uh, so uh, let's see here. This is uh, Jason Aldean, the country music star, was performing. If you've seen the... Uh, there's some uh, videos on uh, Twitter, Facebook that are going around where he's up there just finishing off the concert, and all of a sudden, fire, it sounds like firecrackers are going off. Holy cow. And then after about 20 seconds, they go, oh, that's not firecrackers, and everyone starts running. Mm. Uh, SWAT teams quickly descended on the con- the concert and the casino, and officers used explosives to get inside the hotel room where the shooter was. When they entered the room, he was dead. Yeah, uh, there's reports now. There they found like up to ten rifles in the room and just all kinds of different uh, aspects. Crazy. Of this nuts. So he's he has a. They're calling her a companion partner. Mm-hmm. You know they've 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 talked with her. They I think they have her in custody of the shooter. How did they? Where'd they get her? Uh, she he used some of her ID to get the hotel room. I believe is how I heard that just a minute ago from the one of the police chiefs oh, in town. Wow. So she's. Involved in the sense that she knows him. They don't think she had anything to do with the shooting, at least right now. So Jeez. as this continues to go. So that story, uh, of course, continuing. Um, yeah. Other news, White House Budget Director Mick Mulvaney talked taxes and President Trump's tweets about Puerto Rico over the weekend. And uh, CNN's Jake Tapper began the conversation by asking Mulvaney to explain Trump's Twitter declaration that San Juan Mayor Carmen Yulin Cruz and others in Puerto Rico want everything to be done for them. He goes, who is they and what is the everything they want done for them? You, and you, you can't ask President Trump to explain this. <clears throat> no, but you could, maybe you could ask his uh, budget director who was there yeah. for other While reasons. you're there, yeah, sure. Yeah, you work with the guy. What do you think? He <laughs> goes, I think what the president is trying to get at is that folks think this is going to be easy. Uh, they saw what happened in Texas. They saw what happened in Florida. And they thought, oh, this is easy to do. And it's not. This was always going to be harder than uh, we knew 
because Puerto Rico hit by two successive hurricanes and is less accessible than uh, continental areas. Mulvaney also suggested that the mayor is not being adequately uh, adequately participating in relief efforts herself and that the media is not fairly depicting the efforts going on in Puerto Rico. Wow. Mm. Yeah, that's going to... She's in hip waiters. I've seen... Uh, she was on CBS, was following around with cameras as she's wading through water trying to make sure people are okay, doing her job as the mayor. Yeah. So I don't know. He's in a fight with the president of the United States is in a fight with the mayor of the city of yeah. San Juan. Right. Uh, it works. I mean, it's all about. Um, what do we gain here? Nothing. It's just kind of a distraction. It's in the way. Uh, O.J. Simpson released from Nevada jail yeah. on Sunday after serving nine years behind bars. I believe it was in the middle of the night. In other scary news. Yeah, other scary more news. bad news for Vegas. And uh, so he's out. He's, uh, let's see, I saw the report that says he will spend the foreseeable future living in the Las Vegas area. According to his parole officer. Because he's on parole. you got to kind of stay close by, right? Yeah. Well, that's where all the sports memorabilia is, is in Vegas. That's true. true. And another news, uh, Facebook announced Sunday that it will turn over 3,000 Russian-linked advertisements to congressional investigators Monday amid the mounting questions about the social media giant's role and the election and all that uh after on sunday it was yom kippur yeah and uh mark zuckerberg ceo of facebook uh asked for forgiveness for our mistakes and pledged to be better as a company oh there you go because yom kippur is all about forgiveness yeah so he's asking forgiveness yeah forgive us for sorry for the cesspool we created (laughs) i didn't know a company could be jewish oh sure Hmm. um Oh, the shooting's just, uh, you, no one can stop thinking about it. No. 50 killed. Many more, I mean, they even think more. There'll still be well, yeah. more. Uh, 406, I guess all the surgeries are crazily busy now. They have one level one trauma center in the state of Nevada. Wow. It's not a. They have 18 beds for their ICU for this type yeah. of emergency. And they have 50 people dead and all these people coming in injured. And so they're. It's difficult. Do you think it's necessary? I was listening to the radio on the way into work today. Do you think it's necessary to play audio from the shooting? Do you think that well, serves a purpose? No, but I don't think you can stop it anymore. No. Oh, you mean for the stations to do it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I It's already out there. Like, everyone's a self-publisher now. So I think everyone thinks this will give you a feeling for what was going on there. Can you imagine? I mean, I mean, you just hear the numbers, and it's it's crazy. That's shocking enough. And the mere fact that it was—I mean, this is really right out the front window of the Mandalay Bay, shooting I, over. I saw some the video strip. this morning. All these people huddle on the on the ground, say like twenty, thirty, whatever's around this person with their phone. And they kept looking back over at Mandalay Bay with the phone, and then you'd pan around, and like everyone's on the ground. There's like three people standing up, pointing at the hotel. Like, why are you standing? I mean, he's looking for people that are, you know. They apparently, um, a a Sirius XM um, host for for a country radio show was there, and Mm. and he had just actually come off the stage. He was there with his son, and he said the way we knew what was going on, at first we thought it was like fireworks. Then we thought it was some transformer that Mm -hmm. was going bad. Then they saw the dirt flying up from the ground and realized Mm. there's bullets. And then he said it was just chaos. And you can imagine. This is Vegas. 
Yeah. The guy was shooting across the strip. But, I mean, these types of events are exposed. There's oh, no yeah. way to protect these types of events in the in, in, from something like that. You know yeah. I mean? It's, it's crazy. And that's, I mean, how... What steps do you take to stop something like that? No, that's no, what I was wondering. I, I, there's no, I, I don't think there's a way to protect that no. situation. They're not going to put metal detectors in every hotel. Well, now, how yeah. do you? I mean, there's all kinds of conventions and shows that go on in Vegas. I was just for there that when I went to Vegas. We stayed at the at the hotel on Mandalay Bay property, right behind Mandalay Bay. Now, at one level, if the guy had ten rifles in the room, well, eleven, he may have been using one. Um, it, this, isn't an alarm bell when a guy starts unloading that many weapons into a room, or, or is he there for a gun show? Is he a? a oh, is he a? a yeah, you know. A, but or is it? Did he just conceal them? You know. I don't know. I mean, just putting them in a. Well, he's from box. He's sure. from Mesquite, so he easily could have just driven them into Vegas in it's, a huge duffel bag. And this is going to create even more tension on gun rights. Was he? Were these automatic? Were they? Were they semi-automatic, but yeah. well, adjusted altered, in a way that yeah. they became automatic? Did they have the illegal clips? I mean, and again, none of that would have stopped whatever the laws are. Laws aren't going to stop somebody from doing something crazy. No. Well, there were multiple shots per second, so yeah. gives you an idea of what kind of gun it is. Well, and have ten guns and probably clips and everything loaded and ready. He was ready and. They still don't know what it was all about. No. Apparently, the only thing that he has on his record is a ticket, a speeding ticket. Hmm. Wow. That's what the police chief said. So, ah, uh, tragedy. And again, think of how many people don't even know about it. Now they're asking for blood. They need blood in the area. So go, you know, if you can donate, if you live in the Vegas area, there's two or three places you can go to donate blood. Um, boy, just – honestly – we were thinking, and after the Ariana Grande thing, more people were probably thinking that someone was going to just drive down the strip and hit well, a bunch of people because there's so many people on the strip. And but, they probably have tried to prepare for that. Yeah. But at the same time, you're trying to be welcoming and have people show up for tourism. And if you start putting cement blockades everywhere. No, yeah. And th- again, this is another – this is a first really uh, – well, I guess since the shooting in Texas mm-hmm. where the guy shot from the tower. But – this is now somebody shooting from a, a high-rise building down on, into a crowd. I mean, that's a pretty rare lone wolf attack. That's kind of a rare thing they're saying. So right. now do we look forward to more of these? Do we start saying now watch out for buildings? Yeah, and that's where you get into you – know, you'll start hearing people come up with ideas on how to solve this problem. But yeah. the problem is you've got to take away – personal freedom yep. to solve the problem and then how you know what's that give and take it seems like we go? people would be okay with it up to a point and then it would probably wear off a little bit and people would find it annoying again yeah that's that seems like to with nine eleven, the exactly the human the human way and is this going to divide i mean obviously it does and it will because everyone's going to take a position on it but the reality is that could have been anybody right you could have had a friend just there that could have been anybody. 22,000 people gathered. And, I mean, it really is amazing that many bullets flying that more weren't killed. Right. But – But I don't know. How many how many events happen daily in this country where you have this many oh. thousands of people show up? How many rodeos? And how do you secure just, them? How many rodeos yeah. during the July time period are going on mm-hmm. that 
and guns and bombs. And I mean, there's so many things that we are avoiding daily. And yet then this here we go. This tops it all off, doesn't it? Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And, and again, this is Vegas where every convention goes. And yeah. where every conve- – I mean some of the big they – have, they have a an arena with 20,000 people that can sit in certain conventions. So right. aren't those a little more guarded though as far as security is concerned? Yeah. Yeah, but it's still – you just need one bomb. Ugh. So Vegas has always been a target. In fact, it's been a big target lately. And again, more and more people um, – more and more people just walking the streets of Vegas, too. And, and there's really only so much you can do there, too. I mean, we just had uh, LDS General Conference with tens of thousands of people crossing streets at the same time. Mm-hmm. This, is, this can happen anywhere. And, uh, boy, our prayers go out to anybody that was involved or even had to go through it. Just the trauma of running through, running away, or then being caught. There were a lot of fences basically fencing everyone in. They had to break through those. There were temporary walls. It's all the, the it's all the crowd control yeah, things you well, get yeah, into concerts yeah. or big, you know, amusement concerts parks cost or whatever. Money. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to keep people out and keep people in. Boy, what do you do? And then, then we go from that tragic story to we'll be talking with Joe Cannon, but we'll be talking politics, which lately has seemed pretty tragic as well. Right. <laughs> so like. And then, I don't know, I, how did the president respond to all He responded this? with his warmest regards to all those involved. Okay. He'll, he'll say more later. That's got to be close to home for him, though, with his hotel there and yep. all of his ties yeah. there. Absolutely. The, he, hmm. Warmest regards. Yes, his tweet said the warmest regards to all those involved in the tragedy. Something of those. Hmm. That, but, I mean, warmest regards was how he that was good. termed it. Didn't seem to offend anyone. No, it was. I don't know if you say warmest regards. It's more yeah. of a positive spin on things, but probably I mean, not. Yeah, it's probably. He has been updated, and he's uh, you know watching the news because that's what he does. We'll see wow. where that goes. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't. Oh, it was horrible. I didn't know this happened last night. Did you? I did not. It happened mm. about uh, what ten o'clock Las Vegas yeah, time. Started so at 10. one one Eastern. And I woke up this morning. I'm like, "What's going? Oh wow! Look really? At that. Was that late? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I I woke up at two two twelve. See, and, the, and I couldn't go back to sleep. And my next mm. thought, of course, was I, if I went to that, I'd be really tired because yeah, that's like super late at night to be at a concert. Well, you got to work yeah. the next morning. But this is for cool people, right? And I'm not one of those people, so that's <laughs> fine. But none of us would really be at a concert that late. No, actually, none of us would probably be invited. It was a three-day concert. You just buy some tickets. Yeah. It's not really an invite. Well, none of us are that hip. No. <laughs> hmm. well, but, yeah, I mean, you, you wake up and you don't expect to see something I mean, like that. Oh, I mean, my first question my kids were asking when they woke up. So, did you hear about the shooting? Hmm. Hmm. So, so wait, you woke up at 2 because 2-12. of this or 2-12. just you couldn't sleep? I just had a... I just woke up. One too many Diet Cokes? No, I wish. I just – no, I just woke up. And then I thought, okay. And then I tried to just not turn on my phone. I didn't turn on my phone. Didn't turn it on. Didn't turn it on. And about 3.12, I turned on my phone. Wow. So you really gave up easily. And then about yeah, – an hour later. <laughs> and then about 4.45, I was tired. Mm. And then I went to sleep. And then I woke up like 5.15 ticked. Yeah. Because I had wasted two hours. 
Ah, it's horrible stuff. Horrible. Well, again, um, there's not much you can say. There's not a lot of information. We don't understand why. Many of times there is no answer for these things. He did apparently end up taking his own life, they believe. That's what they're saying, yes. And um, which, you know, in a way good because we don't – can you imagine the trials after these things and – but the last thing this country needs is more divisiveness on an issue like this. Mm. This mm-hmm. is something we should all unify and agree around. This is messed up. And how do you stop? Get rid of guns. Keep the guns. We need the guns to stop the guns. Right. No. There's no answer. There's no answer. Except let's tolerate and be more accepting and figure out what to do with one another instead of fighting. We didn't even talk about the NFL. We'll get to that, I'm sure, later in the show. Boy, lots lots straight ahead. Joe Cannon, our Washington insider, Joe in the know, we call him. He'll be on the phone uh, helping us understand what's going on politically around the country. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We, uh, we love Mondays because it's our chance to talk with our good friend Joe Cannon. Joe is uh, the guy we call Joe in the know. He's just a really well-informed and connected, um, politically savvy gentleman. Gentleman is the, the probably best description of him. Joe uh, also is the president or, or CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, which is an organization that's trying to lower the fuel costs for Americans, for the citizens of the United States, actually. And uh, Joe, are you there, my friend? I'm here, Matt. How are you? I'm good. I'm, uh, I know we have a lot to talk about today, but I just want the record to show I'm sitting here in my Brooklyn Dodgers Jackie <laughs> Robinson number 42 hat. Oh, cool. Uh, he, he played in the very first World Series that they won. I'm parting like it's 1955, not like it's <laughs> 1988. Yeah, and, and even, uh, yeah, even the L.A. Dodgers, you know, the move it seems to be going really well now for those Dodgers. Yeah, the move from Brooklyn to L.A. Right, and that was in nineteen. Just for the record, that was in nineteen fifty nine. Which year, by the way, they also won a World Series. Oh, did they really? Um, Oh, they left um, and won the World Series. Well, I'm sorry, they left in fifty eight. Okay, they left in nineteen. They they came to L.A. in nineteen fifty eight. Then they won three World Series the next two years, and uh, I forgot the dates, but fifty five. I mean, sorry, fifty nine, sixty five, and sixty three. But, so, but but Jackie Robinson only played on one of those teams. He never played in Los Angeles, uh, but he did play on the 55 first time the Dodgers beat the Yankees and won a World Series. Oh, wow. Yeah, you love them Dodgers. Um, but by the way, Joe, you heard about the Las Vegas shooting. And, I mean, again, a tragedy yeah. that really, you know, the, what do you do? There's There's nothing – government officials can really do about something like this is there i i don't think so i mean you will hear the predictably you know because it was so far it appears to be clearly not a terrorist attack yeah uh and not just because the guy's name isn't isn't a, a middle eastern name it apparently he's was just a kind of a regular guy who who went crazy and i guess they still don't know why I read a couple interviews with uh, his, one of his family members, but no, yeah, it's 
such a tragedy and there's yeah there's not a way to prevent that in, in America this this may bring up a really interesting point um because it you know and and it might segue us into the discussion with Puerto Rico but it seems like this this is a really important role or a place where the president can could play a role of healing of um of really you know stepping in and and being somebody that that can unify and can make people feel safe do you sense, and not that I, we, I don't know that really, we really know what President Trump has done or is going to do, um, d- does he do that role very well? You know, I mean, sometimes maybe yes. Uh, we, like you say, we don't know what he's going to say about this. Uh, again, my hope, like yours, and I'm sure most people, is that he does treat this as a moment of trying to bring the country together and and uh, talk about American values, you know, whatever he says that could be healing to some degree. But who knows? He could turn it into a, a gun control issue. He could, mm. I mean, who, I don't know. I mean, sometimes he's, I, I do honestly think, sometimes he's pretty good at this. But a lot of the times it seems like he focuses on some aspect, sometimes a really small aspect of, of the thing. Like, um, like we see that with with Puerto Rico and the mayor of of Puerto Rico, um, who he's been in a Twitter war with now over the weekend. Right. Is I mean, again, it's um, it just it seems like that used to be beneath the office of the presidency to to argue with a mayor over uh, using your own words over Twitter. You might you know send out a a, a memo or whatever, but. Um, what again? We've asked you this question a million times. Say, what is, is he thinking? This, this is Groundhog Day. <laughs> it totally is. In the, in the that, I mean, here's the thing. It's, it's sort of a weird asymmetrical thing. The the media clearly, almost to a person, just with a few exceptions on Fox, but almost a person really hate Trump. Yeah, and this is an example of my my mom told me. I remember really when I was a little kid. If people like you, you can't do anything wrong, and if they don't like you, you can't do anything right. So there's that problem. But on the other hand, he he just gives them so much ammo oh. you know, to to do stuff. It's like, I, I mean, honestly, you can read a lot about Puerto Rico. It's a nightmare. It's a nightmare at almost every level, but. The, the federal response has been, by a lot of measures, pretty good. Why not just talk about the tragedy and what yeah. we're doing to help? Yeah. And you know, we've got we've got the army coming in. We're, we're, we're you know, and talk about how how the devastation and what a nightmare it is and a tragedy for for you know millions of people. And I mean, there's, there's a lot to talk about here instead of picking on. A mayor who's obviously doesn't like him. She's turns out to be a left wing, right? You know, person. Okay, but why? Why now? And why give her? All you do is add more fuel. Yeah. And and then you give the press the opportunity to do what they do best. I, I've, I've have I told the Donald Trump joke yet? No, uh, I, I don't think I so. Have. Well, let's just take Houston as an example. He's. He's in Houston for the after the hurricane. He sees a, a young child floating on a boat, and he he walks out on the water, picks the child up, brings him back to shore, 
everyone's happy. New York Times headline, Trump can't swim. <laughs> That's so, true, huh? That's, they don't like They don't like him. They're, they're two true facts. They don't like him. And he gives them plenty of reasons. Oh, yeah. Plenty, plenty of opportunities uh, to take, you know, and honestly, some pretty legitimate shots at him. I mean, I guess I part, isn't part of the rule um, is, you know, the, 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 the more the fewer things you say, the safer you'll be. And um, especially if you're paying attention to what you're saying and you're, you're, you know, having your team roll out a lot of your things. But, I mean, for example, somebody um, in his uh, – in, uh, organ- in the administration called it a good news story, which is what the San Juan mayor, Carmen Yulin Cruz, jumped on. This isn't right. a good news story. But, um, but then, like you said, there's a lot of good stuff going on and a lot that's happened in all of the other areas and – it just seems like you could you could just just say I understand or stress where but when you start putting down the people as you know wanting everybody to do everything for him I mean it just really turns south. Well, what? Yeah, I mean, I guess sometimes I think he is intentionally, willfully provocative, and he knows he's being that way. Uh, I, I think the whole thing we've talked about this last week, the the whole NFL thing. I think that's a maybe even well thought out. I'm not arguing whether it's good or not. I'm saying he probably thought about it anyway. But a lot of the times he just seems like a ready, fire, aim on the tweet thing. Yeah. Like uh, it just gets something out there. And uh, it, it, it just, even with his base, you know, people say, well, he does this stuff for his base. I, I don't think that's what this is. I, I think he just responded viscerally to, an attack on him. Do you think and, this uh, hurts him with his own party? It seems like he's going to eventually maybe need this party to even keep him in office is if Mueller keeps finding stuff or um, – or I mean they need to partner at some point. But is this turning his own people against him? Well, I mean there are already a lot of senators who simply don't like him. I mean that's pretty obvious in, in the House. uh uh, he's made some, you know, pretty big enemies. So I, you, you just, you don't know. I mean, sooner or later, like you say, it's both electorally, both on trying to get stuff through the hill. Uh, he's going to need a team, and it's still a team sport. Even, even if uh, only one part of the team won the presidency, it's still a team sport at uh, at Congress, and yeah. you need. Uh, especially in the Senate, you need all the Republicans you can. Uh, what do you think of Ohio get... Governor Kasich uh, saying he may leave the GOP if they can't get their act together? You know, honestly, I used to be a huge fan of yeah. Kasich. I mean, even on this on this program, I, early on uh, in the primaries, I, I thought, yeah, maybe Kasich is the guy. But then I actually saw him speak a couple of times I mean, in person. And I, I don't know, something happened with him. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Something strange is going on with Kasich. I mean, he, he is actually a Republican. It's not like he's leaving. He may leave, um, you know, over some particular grievances. I mean, he, he's really, I think, rethinking what he is in hmm. life uh, politically. Do you think it's the middle kind of the – I mean he's kind of the establishment 
candidate, I guess, historically, maybe more of the rhino uh, um, Republican, but he's tired of the the other wings of the of the GOP leading or not leading. Well, but that, I mean, no, that yeah, that could be that could be part of it. I but I think there's something more fundamental going on mm. with Kasich. And I'm not saying that's even necessarily a bad thing. I think he did undergo kind of a religious conversion and he's seeing things through a different lens than just purely politics in general and party politics in particular. I mean, part of it's kind of noble, I think. I mean, I, I, but part of it is, is, uh, you know, he's sort of gone off the rails, uh, politically hmm. and he's you know i don't think he's i don't he's not he's not running for governor again i take it and so maybe he's just free to be his own guy and and uh be a spokesman spokesperson for his worldview which is how he how he talked during the campaign a lot he yeah talked a lot about the you know the beatitudes and uh in in his campaign talks it was like more than just like almost all politicians sprinkle their talks with with religious quotes, but his was a little deeper, kind of deeper, more fundamental level of how he saw the world. I, th- I think that did. And I don't know when that happened. He he wrote a very interesting, uh, kind of non political book about his conversion. Hmm. So I don't know. I think there's something a lot going on inside of, of Kasich's head, but it's definitely not aimed at, uh, you know, political office. In, in, in anymore. I don't think he's even thinking about that anymore, but I don't know. Yeah, you never know, do you? Yeah. Wow. Well, again, we're speaking with Joe Cannon. Joe is our Washington insider. We call him Joe in the know. Just He's very politically connected, and uh, sometimes he hears some of the scuttle, some of the stuff we don't get to hear in the mainstream media, but um, we're going to take a break, come back, continue this journey with Joe. Uh, when we come back, I want to figure out if he's got any insight into uh, why Tillerson, our, our Secretary of State, is uh, having trying to create some back channels to talk with North Korea while the President of the United States is telling him it's a waste of time. Don't waste your time negotiating with North Korea. Interesting, uh, interesting little argument between the administration officials. Stick with us. Up next, we'll continue the discussion. This is The Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joe Cannon is on the phone with us. He is our uh, Washington insider. Joe in the know, we call him. And uh, he just likes to be known as a Dodgers fan. He likes it that simple. Just keeping it simple. Uh, Joe, um, you having served in in an administration in the EPA under Ronald Reagan, President Reagan, uh, what do you think it's like to be Rex Tillerson as Secretary of State, that, that's making you know his own announcements that they do have channel some channel open to communication with North Korea that that they are still talking with North Korea, and then to have President Trump come out saying that he's wasting his time negotiating with North Korea. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I on this one, of course, I have zero background or inside information, but. Basically, it can only be a, a couple of things. I mean, 
it's either like an intentional good cop, bad cop yeah. deal, or it's unintentional good cop, bad cop. I mean, uh, I haven't read. I, I looked, and maybe I didn't look hard enough. I didn't see any response by Tillerson on this. <laughs> so, I, I, you know, there, there may be something, and I just didn't see it. But I, I don't know. It, uh, it, it's a it's just how Trump is. I mean, we say that all the time. It's just it's getting like I say, it's Groundhog Day. But but uh, it it also uh, could be that that's what he really believes. Yeah. But you know, do you just say that you know to millions of people, or do you you know pick up the phone and say, hey Rex, uh, maybe we don't go down that path? Yeah, I don't know. My my honest instinct is that it probably. So far, most of the moves around North Korea seem pretty well planned. Yeah. Uh, and you've got a lot of folks, a lot of smart folks involved in this picture. So it, honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if it's just a good cop, bad cop thing. But it also wouldn't surprise me if the president woke up and said, Oh, maybe I need to send a message here to, to Tillerson and to North Korea. I, I don't know. Right. Well, and to the president over the weekend uh, went to – I mean this was kind of, I guess, bad optics. Is He was giving away the trophy to the president's trophy golf right. tournament, uh, which, which right. by the way, the day prior to that, President Bush, Presidents Bush, Obama, and Clinton were all there. And that same day, President Trump drops, you know, something – I can't remember – some statement about how each one of them, you know, didn't handle uh, North, Korea North Korea appropriately. Right, right. So, yeah. so it's like – it's – you know, you used to be at least a, a friend of the other presidents. Um, but some of the language it seems like is he, he's trying to pit himself against the other presidents. Like he's still running. Yeah, no, it, it, the whole President's Cup thing was strange in the sense that here you got a bunch of presidents, all of whom are golfers. It's the President's Cup. Uh, Donald Trump, you know, claims to be a pretty good golfer, maybe is. I, I don't know. But he definitely golf is a big part of his life. It's just kind of a moment to, to celebrate golf mm. and, uh, and presidents and – He's part of a, a line of presidents who've, uh, you know, embraced golf. I don't know. It, uh, and he, I mean, and he's really embraced it. I mean, he's he complained a lot about President Obama golfing, but he golfs a lot. But again, just hey, they're your buddies. They're your buddies. We don't need to keep um, you know going against them. What do you think about um, HHS Secretary Tom Price resigning Friday after the airplane scandal and? Chartering a million dollars worth of airplanes since. Yeah. Well, I'm kind of surprised because Price seemed like a really nice. I, I don't know the background on him in general, but he seemed like a really nice, decent guy. And but it, it seemed like that that was flagrant. It was a flagrant example of of like just not paying attention to what you should be doing and and really looking like I'm, I'm going to enjoy the perks of this massive job. I and mean, that job is, you know, I think there are more employees there than any of the other departments. I could be wrong, but it's a vast agency, vastly important. And, you know, you're kind of the king of a pretty big empire, and all of a sudden, well, let's just take charter flights. Let's get, you know, why, why should I 
take a train or drive from mm-hmm. Washington to Philadelphia. No, let's, let's take a charter. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I think it was pretty inevitable. I think Trump was aware of the story before it came out and and really sort of signaled displeasure. And then it was pretty quick to uh, accept the resignation. <laughs> Mm. Do you, now, and some are saying that it may have had less to do. I mean, the travel was was the obvious thing, but the the bigger thing was the embarrassment of the health care bill not passing. Right. Yeah. I, I think uh, there was that was clearly a piece of it because early on, the president, you know, looking well, it's not his fault, of course, that that health care failed. Uh, so it must have been McConnell's. It must have been somebody else, and maybe it was Tom Price who. Put the initial uh, repeal and replace package together. Also, uh, I heard on the kind of the background that uh, if you don't get to repeal, if the president doesn't get his repeal and replace in healthcare, there's a lot you can do uh, administratively at HHS to undo or to weaken hmm. Obamacare and. Uh, he there was some feeling that maybe Price wasn't the guy to do that. Okay. So there's pro- probably a bunch of things involved. But actually, I do think the president was genuinely like, what are you doing? Like, it's just kind of embarrassing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it, was, it was flagrant. It, it wasn't, you know, there are always a lot. Of, in all administrations, people do things out on the edge, not necessarily legally on the edge. But, you know, they're kind of a little bit embarrassing. This was flagrant. I guess the only word I can think about is just flagrant. And there were two or three or three or four or three others, I think, two or three others that also had been yeah. caught traveling extensively. And and then – but he also has other cabinet members that are flying their own private jets. Um, right. yeah, no, it's, 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 it's really such a du- – and then meanwhile, the president himself has also been known for taking a lot of trips to Mar-a-Lago and other places at the taxpayer's expense. Um Every weekend at the very beginning, and so I don't know. It, it just makes some of the arguments, I guess, harder to to put out there that right. that they're clean, that they're clearing the swamp. Um, Travel is often the undoing of high political office. I, you know, over many years, I've seen examples where just trips to you know just sort of get people off the rails. Yeah, it seems like yeah, because there's been the there's been Travelgate, there's been other issues. Um, in the end, I guess uh, now there's a new memo to the White House from the White House to the cabinet saying no private air travel unless General Kelly, um, the the chief of staff, okay's it. Right, right. It shouldn't have had to come to that. No, because that that's a big massive. Micromanagement, problem, right? Uh, micromanagement, but on the other hand, we've got flagrant cases. Yeah. Oh boy. Well, Joe, what uh, you know? What else should we be paying attention to? Any other things that are on your radar that we haven't we haven't talked about yet? Well, today is the opening day of the Supreme Court uh, term. Yeah. This next year, and by, just by the way, as a footnote, today. In 1967, Thurgood Marshall was sworn in as the first uh, African-American uh, judge justice on the on the Supreme Court. But there are a bunch of cases, and we don't probably not have time now to, to talk about them, but we can uh, – I will quote Ruth Bader Ginsburg said, there's only one 
prediction that is entirely safe about the upcoming term, and that is it will be momentous. Uh, and like I say, maybe next week we can talk about some of the cases. Yeah. Last year was a very dull year. It was You had four uh, – well, on, on a lot of different important districts, it was four to four, and you had, you had one missing. So the, the Supreme Court really kind of downplayed. They didn't take a lot of controversial cases. They just they just passed on them. Now they've got in the queue. So half of their queue is filled up. So uh, I mean, the way I won't go into how they take cases, but they 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 and the vast and almost entirely their whole docket is made up of cases they choose to take uh, and. So they've already chosen about half of the cases they're going to hear. Wow! And they they involve you know the um, the Colorado Baker's case. Yeah. You know, whether uh, whether you can whether civil your 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 um, First Amendment religious liberty rights versus anti discrimination laws. You've got uh, gerrymandering. Uh, the gerrymandering case will be a very interesting case. They have they they looked at gerrymandering and you know political things over many 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 years, and but this could be a very big case. You've got a big labor case, uh, the public employees mm-hmm. case. So whether whether the employee unions could charge members an agency or a, a fee for lobbying, hmm. and you know if if it turns out the court strikes that down. Uh, where several states have stricken similar statutes down, union dues, uh, if they don't dry up completely, they they, they slow down a lot. Um, Ooh, that could be anyway, it. So there, there, yeah. there's, some, uh, there's some really interesting wide, wide range of cases that have wide-ranging effects. Uh, of course, uh, uh, that's what the Supreme Court's there for. Just one note, this looks like there's not going to be any travel ban case at least initially, the the court took it off their docket for oral argument, and they sent out notes to all of the parties saying, hey, tell us why this isn't moot. Why, why should we even hear this case now that there have been subsequent um, so-called travel bans issued hmm. uh, that replaced the one, the particular one that was under scrutiny? So if there's a case there, it's going to stem, it's going to start in the lower courts and make its way back up to the Supreme Court. Interesting stuff. Joe Cannon, thank you so much for your great uh, insight as our Washington insider. Joe in the know is his name. You can find out more about his work at Fuel Freedom Foundation by going to fuelfreedom.org. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Man, other news, other headlines we haven't even covered. Um, for example, NFL, more there were more uh, people kneeling again, which is, you know, more protests there. Right. But none of it seems to matter when you hear yeah. of a mass shooting in Las Vegas. Yeah. See, that really puts things into perspective. Whereas last Friday, that's all we were talking about was right. the kneeling. Right. It was it was like the biggest thing in the world, and um, then you realize, okay, it's not a big deal. Whatever, yeah, fifty people 
died, uh, probably plus more than that. Um, that's the count to now. 406 people are so taken to the hospital out of Las Vegas um, when a lone gunman apparently started firing down with using 10 rifles, apparently uh, automatic um, sounding, I mean, a lot of rapid gunfire. So probably illegal weapons doing also something illegal and yeah, crazy. Pretty scary the amount of time it took for people to figure out what was going on. Yeah. Well, I mean, part of it is, I guess, you're so far from the sound of the gunshot. So even the, the some of the video you can watch, it's pretty distant. Like it doesn't – it may not resonate with you. Uh, but somebody I was listening to said they – it took – a, a round, and then the guy stopped, and then and the singer was still singing, and then right. another round of gunfire, and then then the um, the gunman stopped, and it was about the third round that everyone started getting that this is yeah. gunshot. But the weird thing would be because twenty two thousand people, and all of a sudden people are dropping and getting hit by these bullets. But this this person um, that was on the scene said that it was it was the dirt flying up from the ground. That's when they knew it was real. That something wasn't right. Well, and plus, no matter how many of these stories we hear, I think most of us, for the most part, just don't think something like this could ever happen to us. Yeah. And this is close to Utah. So I'm sitting there thinking, okay, do I know anybody that's in Vegas? Right. Are my kids home? Yeah. Crazy, crazy thing. 400 hurt in the deadliest mass shooting in U.S. history. We'll continue our coverage of it as well as our show. We've got a lot of other things we want to inform you about as the week's starting up. Um, This is the Matt Townsend Show, doing what we can to help you uh, be the good in the world and, and make it through these difficult times. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here with Terry South and Jeff Simpson. The gang is gathered and uh, doing what we can to make sense of this mass shooting, the largest uh, the deadliest mass shooting in U.S. history, more than 400 people hurt, 50-plus uh, dead. Uh, one shooter, apparently, Mandalay Bay, out of the Mandalay Bay Casino in Las Vegas, shooting down at a festival, um, a music festival, a country-western music festival, and uh, just created chaos. People were trampled as well. 22,000 people gathered for the festival and uh, minute by minute, just getting more and more information, and I'm sure you're getting it from all your news sources. Um, it is now, boy, uh, 50-plus dead. Um, ten rifles apparently found in his room. At least, they say. At least ten with – boy, when you listen to the sound, the audio of it, he went through a lot of ammunition. A lot of yeah. ammo. And as you mentioned, three rounds until people realized what was going on. Yeah, like, I mean, I'm sure a couple realized, but to get 22,000 people moving, it took, you know, time. Apparently, he went on for 10 minutes. Do you feel like you would recognize the sound of a gunshot 
if it went off? Well, I, I think I would, but maybe not from that distance. Yeah, it's the distance that was probably an issue. Because then it almost sounds like, hey, oh, somebody's letting off fire. It was, it was, yeah. it was right at the end. That was the last uh, you know, Band. concert act for the night, and people probably just thought fireworks were going to start happening. Because so. I've, been, I've been in my home before where I could have sworn we heard a gunshot go off. And you, you never see anything on the news or hear anything yeah. about it, and so you just forget about it. But there have been times where it's like, ah, I'm pretty sure that was a gunshot. Man, that would be scary. I've never, yeah, I've never had a gun go off near me. We're I mean, probably like, just like more, near me at home. Yeah, we're probably just more paranoid than you are. Yeah, probably. It's a it, it's a tragedy, and anyway, you look at it, and then you wonder what's going to happen. Is everyone's going to take sides? You know, uh, some are already stating that um, gun stocks are up after Las Vegas shooting. So what happens? Um, and you know, a rush to buy guns, a rush to hold your guns, an argument about whether we should have guns, automatic weapons. We'll get into all of that, just as we have with Sandy Hook and every other mass shooting. Um, and then what? Nothing happens. We'll just move on. And, you know, a lot of these people, I'm sure, will tell themselves, I'm not the type of guy that would go out and do this. And yet the little that we know about this guy so far is that the the worst he had on his record was a ticket, right? Ticket so far. I think that's all they knew up to then. He was from Mesquite, Nevada, which is about an hour drive or so from Las Vegas. And, uh, you know, he also – there was a woman involved. We'll let Terry get to those headlines. What's going on, Terry, that we should be paying attention to? So uh, what? Clark County Sheriff Joseph Lombardo identified the gunman who opened fire at the Outdoor Music Festival in Las Vegas as Stephen Paddock from uh, Mesquite, Nevada. Or at least he had a home there. Uh, he has a – they're calling her a partner. So that could be whatever the relation – whatever the relationship was. But they, I believe, spoken with her. They don't believe she's part of it, but uh, apparently he used some form of her identification to uh, access the hotel. Hmm. So that's how she got involved, is that maybe she used a credit card or something from her. Um, So 50 people killed and 400 plus were sent to the hospital, whether they were injured by gunfire or by a stampede of people trying to get out of the area. 400 people in the hospitals down there in Las Vegas. Uh, Again, shooting from Mandalay Bay resort hotel on the 32nd floor which is across the street from this uh, venue from this uh, country festival that was going on uh the police uh when they broke into the room they used some explosives and breached the room uh, uh paddock was dead by what they feel was a self-inflicted gunshot wound he had been in the hotel since september 28th had at least 10 rifles in the room with him Authorities zeroed in on him uh, because the guns, as he was shooting them, all the smoke from the guns lit off all the fire alarms in the room. So oh, they wow. Just, they just went right to the room because that's where all the fire alarms were. Yeah, and you you wonder if many people are in their rooms in Vegas at 11 o'clock at night or 10 o'clock at night. Right. Maybe the guy, I mean, it, guns are loud. Right. So anybody on the floor above or below have would have heard this. Called something, yeah. But yeah, they but said fire alarms, huh? Specifically because of the fire alarms, because the smoke coming off the weapons. Amazing. Caused a problem. One local off-duty sheriff died. Two others who were on duty were wounded by the gunfire. Uh, two of the wounded, one is listed as stable after surgery. The other sustained minor injuries. It is the deadliest mass shooting in U.S. history. It's the 338th shooting in 2017, in which four people were either killed or injured, which is the measurement for a mass shooting. Wow. At what number? 338th. Since? In this 2017 year. 
And there has to be at least four. Four you either killed or injured in the shooting. Wow. That's when they classify uh, it as a mass shooting. Yeah, I, th- I think we have a problem. That is crazy. That's Pro- yeah. one a day. And that's more, just from yeah. guns. That doesn't even count all the people being mowed down by cars, right? Or any other wow. way. That, yeah. So Oof. President Trump will speak at 1030 Eastern this morning. Coming up here in this hour. Uh, President Trump said on Sunday he told uh, Secretary of State Rex Tillerson that he is wasting his time by engaging in direct talks with North Korea. I told Rex Tillerson, our wonderful Secretary of State, wasting time negotiating with Little Rocket Man, as Trump wrote on Twitter. Oh, boy. little. He goes, save your energy, Rex. We'll do what has to be done. Trump tweets come just a day after Tillerson and acknowledged for the first time that Washington is in direct contact with the rogue nation after its missile tests. They have back channel going on just like we did with Iran. Uh, some people are speculating this is a good cop, bad cop approach to this situation. Yeah. Uh, well, hold on. Trump's being the bad cop. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and they think maybe this might not be the best way to approach someone who wants to fire well, missiles at you. You and I were talking a while ago about the fact that they don't even – some people – North Korea apparently doesn't know how to take the president. Right. So they've been contacting past officials like saying, what's wrong with your leader? <laughs> Yeah, there's all these consultants in D.C. Like, hey, could you work with us? And they're like, yeah, you know, I want to. Yeah, I don't want to get involved. Get in involved this with you, so <laughs> kind of interesting. Uh, President Trump took aim at storm batter Puerto Rico in a series of Saturday morning over the weekend. Sunday also tweets claiming the leaders of the U.S. territory, appealing for help, want everything to be done for them when it should be a community effort. Um, he called them ingrates, I believe. Yeah, he called them ingrates, which mm. is a wonderful way to approach. A uh, hurricane relief situation. Mayor Carmen uh, Cruz said Friday she slammed the White House for its inefficiency. She said it's killing Puerto Ricans. Mm. And apparently they've uh, stepped up their efforts with uh, there's more power that's on, more people are getting water. But I was reading this morning, now people are waking up and it's like, okay, do I stand in a 12-hour line for gas, for food, or for water? Uh And you got to pick the line Uh because that's pretty much the only thing you're going to be able to do today. Yeah. So which one do you pick? Which one's the most important? Food, water, or gas? So you can maybe... Send a family member to each, maybe? Maybe. You know, divide and conquer? Who knows? Unbelievable. That's where they're at at the moment. Wow. And finally, on a lighter note... Hold on, but this is Puerto Rico, right? Yes. They're they're a U.S. territory. They are. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Just checking. But they're an island, middle of the ocean. In a very big, big ocean ocean with lots of (laughs) waves. Now, I needed your opinion on this, Matt. Yeah. According to the latest data from YouGov.com... Yeah which is a website where you go in and you just click yes or no, basically, and they give you numbers. But it's kind of revealing. Most Americans find themselves attractive but say they're not overly concerned with the opinions of others about their looks. Okay. So I think I'm attractive, but I don't care what you think about my looks. Well, because if you want to know, I think you're attractive. 53% of respondents regard themselves as at least somewhat attractive or more. Only 10% find themselves very attractive. I'm hot. And the same amount find themselves not attractive at all. So 10% say yeah. I'm, I'm really good. Others say not so much. And everyone else is kind of in the middle going, yeah, I'm all right. I think yeah. mirror sales are up this year, too. Are they now? Yeah. I, We're in love with ourselves. But this is normal, right? We always tend to overshoot. We're yeah. very, we're very um, confident about our abilities to do a lot of things, hmm. including, I guess, our looks. Total of fifty-six percent cared little or none at all about whether others found them physically attractive. What percent? Fifty-six percent. Bull. They care very little. I don't believe that. Nobody cares. That's Sweatpants sales are also up. That's a lie. <laughs> okay. Unless that's just the men. 
I didn't didn't have any sort of separation as to the genders as to who said but what. So, do you believe that fifty percent of the men don't care at all? Do you walk around like go to a shopping mall and look around at who's there and what they're wearing? Yeah, I think there's a lot of people there's who don't a lot, care. Yeah, there's a lot of peacocks. I think that care. <laughs> well, there's a lot of people that care, and there's a lot of people that you look at it and like, did you look in a mirror before you walked out? What the happens door? is you reach my age, and then you realize, you know what? Nobody cares mm. who you are or what you look. I like. think at some point you're just you're who you are. You know, you've got yeah. the people in your life impressing every other person out there. It doesn't seem to be a, something you want to achieve. My wife yeah. frequently talks about the women that she sees at Target that are just dressed to the nines. Oh, They're yeah. there with their kids. And it confuses her. Like, why? Why are you well, Why are you going you through go all somewhere. this effort You're to go to Target? <laughs> Who are you trying to impress? Yeah. No, I noticed that this weekend. My son and I had a really good conversation about do you have to shower every day? Hmm. It's a good question. How old is your son? 22. Okay, I'm talking to my six-year-old about this kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> and, but it's like, it's, I'm not trying to impress anybody. And then I'm like, well, no, there's just basic hygiene. Yeah. This isn't, impressing would be cologne. And yeah. I mean, I'm not even talking. Exotic you can still wear your wrinkled clothes. Yeah. But he's like, I'm just going to stay in. It doesn't matter. Now that I have your, uh, you know, permission, I'm going to start doing that. No, no, no. The wrinkled clothes. You can wear the wrinkled clothes. Yeah. But shower. There is a hygiene approach where you don't use soaps. Yeah. You don't use shampoos. And you kind of refrain from showering for a while. And it's said that after maybe a week of, you know, touch and go and whether the rest of society can be around you, your body sort of adapts and it just goes back to normal. And then the chemicals that we're using now is actually altering our what should be our natural state. Can't we just adapt? <laughs> what do you think about that? Our natural caveman <laughs> funk. Yeah, it's kind of I think it's a caveman approach to No, hygiene. I think that's a I mean, yeah, for sure. Maybe the the deodorants, the the, the lotions, the shampoos have altered our natural state. Tro- totally. Our body reacts with the odors that it emits yeah. and after a while our pH and all that resets itself when we go back to just being normal. You do don't you need mean, all that. But okay, your natural state would also your pH would be normal. But you'd also be alone. That's natural. Apparently, well, the, some the, this won't be the the the, the uh, case for everyone. But some people just don't stink after a while. No, that's not true. You sure? Oh yeah. Okay. No, they always stink. They just like can't your, smell your, it. Your anymore. hair's natural oils will just take no. take over, and your hair will not be all greasy and gross. No, I mean, like you until you built a cocoon. Yeah. I don't of know. Grease and build up. I've heard some talk. No. You don't think this is true? No, have you well have you been around somebody that No. Why would I do that? Yeah, no, they I mean they Do, do you understand the the risk to the olfactory senses you're oh, yeah. taking just to be around a person like that? You yeah. don't know what's going to happen. Don't believe that old myth that All right. you know, you'll you'll outgrow your stink. See, this would be another interesting study. You've had the study about whether or not people find themselves attractive. Do people like the way that they smell? Mm. What percentage of us like the way we smell? Or I don't do, know that you can smell. Or do yourself. we more just a reaction of everyone else? And if they don't say anything, then they think I'm okay. Is that how we go through life? I think I'm okay. Well, I think if we all like the way we smell, then we wouldn't use all these chemicals. Right. See, it's interesting because a lot of people can't smell what they smell like, and yet it takes somebody else to tell them you stink. Yeah. Right. You. Yeah. And yet. We're our harshest harshest critics when it comes to like the way we sound. 
on the phone oh, or yeah. the way we look in a photo or the way yeah the way you look in video or yeah that'd be another interesting one people that are satisfied with the way that they sound over the telephone bah. see back in like say the 15th 16th century they didn't bathe no they used perfumes mm-hmm. they covered up whatever the, the problem areas putting, were well it's like that's that's where axe body spray was invented there you go not true, but understand the point. So you, you're, you're trying to cover things up, but people didn't bathe. Yeah. It was more of a luxury to take a bath. Well, you used to rub dirt on it. Right. Well, now we bathe and cover it up. Yeah. Overkill. But so, you know why? It goes back to your first point. Because we care. We care what people think. Yes. We're losing a lot less babies, too, because we're not throwing the babies out with the bathwater. There's a point. I don't know if it was a good one, but it's a point. <laughs> well, but we're actually probably – we're taking more baths than we used to. So we're probably we – You think be, so? We should yeah. be losing more babies yeah. in that reasoning. No, because the water is cleaner. We're not using the oh, whole family in the see same them bath. In the bath. Yes. Yeah. We, we've That's been where it straining our bath water to catch these babies. So what you're saying, Matt, is we need to take less baths. No. Bathe less. No. Advice from Matt Townsend. Keep bathing the same amount. Does it count as a bath if I soak it up in the hot tub? No. You're lounging at that point. But there are chemicals that are at play that are at work here. We've already talked about that a few weeks ago, and about 10% (laughs) of those chemicals didn't come from your hot tub (laughs) supply store. (laughs) 10% were donated by neighborhood kids. Yeah. And seniors. There you go. I mean, people of all ages. Blah. Let's get to a happier note. Uh, our next guest is going to be talking about an accident. He went through a really traumatic accident, a life-threatening ski accident, and he survived. So he's going to give us a crash course in positivity. And it probably couldn't be coming at a better time as we're trying to get through understanding how one person can go shoot at at 22,000 people, killing 50 um, in Las Vegas. That's straight ahead on The Matt Townsend Show. We're talking positivity. After a life-threatening ski incident uh, accident, doctors weren't sure if our next guest uh, was going to survive. Stephen H. Lawton is his name, but because of his attitude and a helmet and a message from God and a rubber chicken named Henrietta, Lawton not only survived but recovered nearly completely and lives to share his tale and wonders and the wonders and, and beautiful benefits of positivity. Steve Lawton, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Matt, for having me. It's great to be here. You bet. And you're the author of the book, Head First, A Crash Course in Positivity. Man, when I went to your website and saw that uh, video, of well, your picture of you after the accident holding a rubber chicken, I thought, (laughs) what is going on? Maybe, Steve, uh, you obviously, maybe you didn't fully know you were given a chicken um, at that time. But talk about positivity. We we sure need it today with the tragedy uh, in Las Vegas. And yeah. it's hard to take these difficult times and turn them positive. It really is. And, you know, that, so that chicken, let me just start with the, with the chicken. Yeah, get to the chicken. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, so the chick, I received the chicken four days um, after I had uh, that uh, skiing accident where I skied headfirst into a tree. And um, really, by all accounts, uh, I should have died from all of the injuries that I suffered from that. Uh, and I, I do credit, um, among other things, um, you know, the doctors, um, but I do credit my attitude and a message from, from God uh, saving my life. Hmm. Now the chicken was a bonus. Um, <laughs> that was a it gift. Was a friend, it, it was a gift. A friend of mine, um, and I don't know who thinks of this, but this friend of mine, as soon as she heard about my accident and knew it was life-threatening injuries, her first thought was, "Steve needs uh, Henrietta. Steve needs my rubber chicken." <laughs> and so she put her in a box and mailed her to me. And when my wife took her out of the box, she honks, and she took her out of the box. Um, she honked, and, and it was kind of behind me, so I couldn't see what was going on. I just heard this loud, honk. <laughs> what on earth are you doing? And she comes around the corner of the bed, holding the chicken with a smile on her face, and she's reading the note that says, this is Henrietta, the good luck chicken. And she's brought us luck for years, and she's here to help you through this. And I'm staring at my wife, looking at this rubber chicken, going, okay, I guess I need a rubber chicken. <laughs> I do remember it, but I, was, I tell you I was not in the mood. Rubber chicken oh, I can't imagine. You looked miserable. But I mean, it was. Uh, it, but it, the the message of the chicken is is part of an important one with positivity because I didn't realize it until much later as I looked back on the situation that that chicken actually really did play a role in my recovery because she changed the mood of my ICU room. Hmm. We displayed her prominently in the room, and everyone who walked in after that. With like a doctor or nurse would walk in, they just stop in their tracks and look at Henry and go, <laughs> "What? You have a giant rubber chicken in your room?" And we'd have a chuckle and and introduce Henrietta. They'd go squeeze her, and then they'd get on about their business. But that oh, but does it, change it, doesn't it? It? Changed, it changed the whole mood of the room. Everyone, it wasn't just a place of misery and suffering anymore. It was a place where you still, even in that that dire situation where we, I was still hanging on by a thread, you could still break that tension with a little bit of laughter and a little bit of positivity. And, and it was kind of one of the, one of the first, first lessons. And it was really the first time that I saw my wife, uh, you know, smile and laugh just a little bit. Yeah. And I think that was enormously important for her kind of keeping her, her sanity and her keeping it all together. As well. well, and especially too, because you didn't have the energy or the wherewithal or the ability yourself right. to be funny. So to have something that could be that could do it for you, I mean, that really is a blessing. And that probably is something we all ought to be looking for, you know, in life is in these crazy moments, just something that that lightens the mood a bit. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's one of the it's actually one of the chapters in in my book that covers eight different things that you can do to, to be more positive. It's like injecting laughter, humor into um, the situations in your life. And what it does is it really just gives you a break from the tension or what's bothering you um, and allows you to kind of break that, that, that thought process that's kind of got a hold of you, take a step back, and then come back into uh, looking at that situation potentially with, with a new set of eyes or a new perspective. So it really does help um, when, you're, when you're dealing with something uh, traumatic or, or difficult or a challenge in your life to just break that tension momentarily, um, and it, it, 
it makes a difference. And I, what's interesting is it was your friend, right? Um, yeah. Your friend probably had this prompting or this thought that, hey, he needs Henrietta, which, by yeah. the way, nobody knew of Henrietta probably until she no. sends him to you. I, yeah, I had no idea. I had no idea what Henrietta was. That's great. <laughs> It really is. It's, uh, it's, it also it's, uh, shows you the the role that you anybody can play in, you know, making that difference yeah. for somebody that's going through such a difficult time. Yeah, that is one of the one of the other kind of key messages here is you really have no idea uh, the effect that you have on other people um, based on what you say and do, um, both positive and negative. You don't know what's <clears throat> what the other person you're talking to or engaging with, what their story is, or what's going on in their mind. Or what happened that morning for them, or that that week, and and the little things that you say can have profound impacts uh, on on their lives. Mm. And when you, if you can take the opportunity to do it purposefully, um, and like you know, one of the things, uh, like the motto that I live my my life by, and I've done it since before the accident, is everyone who comes in contact with me will be better off as a result. That's great. And that's it just makes my life easier to live. If ever I'm in a challenging situation or I don't know what to do, I kind of I find myself going back to that and it clears the path for me and tells me what I can do. And so no matter who I'm dealing with or what's going on, um, I try to live by that that motto. And I, I say it uh, every morning. And what's the exact motto again? Whoever I come with? Yeah, anyone who comes in contact with me will be better off as a result. That's great. And again, with uh, what's going on with this tragedy in Las Vegas and, and tragedy in Puerto Rico and, and tragedy yeah. in Houston. Everywhere. Everywhere. Um, your message is so – it resonates so well. Stephen H. Lawton is joining us. He's the author of the book Head First, A Crash Course in Positivity. He's talking about how a, a, a crash while skiing, uh, which I apparently was head first um, – and then a rubber chicken Henrietta and a, and really an, an inspiring message from God, which we'd love to hear as well. Um, all yeah. of these things combined in helping you understand and go through a crash course in positivity. Yeah. So I'll talk um, about the message from God and the role that played um, in, my, in my recovery. Please. So that happened on – it was on day seven of my recovery. And on <clears throat> day six, so I had collapsed both lungs. So I had a breathing tube in. Uh, that was breathing for me. And on day six, uh, my lungs had healed enough that they could remove the breathing tube. And the doctors and nurses were telling me that um, my recovery, continued recovery of my lungs was now dependent on me. It was no longer a machine. And I would have to do these breathing exercises that they wanted me to do. And the breathing exercises were um, taking a big deep breaths, five or six deep breaths with a device called the spirometer that measured how much air you took into your lungs and take those deep breaths, uh, and every time I did that, it, my lungs would expand, my chest would expand, and I had broken ribs, oh, broken sternum. Bruises. Six broken, yeah. Six broken vertebrae. I mean, so it, it was just a, taking a deep breath hurt a lot. And so I'm sitting there thinking to myself, okay, my lungs have healed great on their own. I don't need to do these <laughs> breathing exercises to get better. I'm just going to let my lungs continue to heal. And it was uh, the next day, day seven, that I heard this message from God while I'm laying in the ICU bed. And what I heard was, Steve, if you want to live and see your kids again, you need your lungs. 
And if you want your lungs, you're going to have to fight for them. And then it was gone. And I just laid there. I knew exactly what it meant. It meant I had to do those breathing exercises. And so from that point forward, you could say, since it was a message from God, I did it religiously. But every hour that the doctors told me to go do it, to do those breathing oh. exercises, I would do it. And I would do them as deeply uh, as I as I could. And what happened every time I did those breathing exercises, it not only hurt when you're doing just the taking the deep breath, um, but about a minute later, what would happen is those deep breaths would loosen up some of the blood that was in the bottom of my lungs. And I would have, like, you have a bad cough. Oh, then you start I would coughing. Have a violent coughing fit. It's an uncontrollable, violent coughing fit, and cough up whatever was in the bottom of my lungs. And shake and everything ever, that's broken. Yeah. Oh, if you've ever coughed with a bruised rib, coughing with three broken ribs, a broken sternum, a broken back, oh. every muscle that you're coughing with is attached to something broken. And it was by far the most painful thing that I ever did. And I knew every time I did those exercises, within a minute, I was going to have one of those coughing fits. And I did it. Um, I did it every hour. My wife says I did it more frequently than that. Mm. Now, the reason why I say that saved my life was two days later, day nine, um, my lungs had healed enough that um, I was almost completely off of the supplemental oxygen. Uh, and they were talking about moving me the next day to the rehab wing. They were just amazed at how quickly I was recovering and how fast my lungs were recovering. And that was when I started experiencing uh, shortness of breath. And I had a complication that they discovered later that day of uh, a bilateral pulmonary embolism. Oh, boy. Which is where your clot. blood and your lungs starts to clot. And it's a, it's a complication or disease that will kill you very quickly if not diagnosed and treated properly. And I'm convinced that if I hadn't done those breathing exercises and expanded my lung capacity over those prior two days, that the doctors wouldn't have had time to... Um, to diagnose and, and oh yeah, you you wouldn't have recovered. I wouldn't have made it. Yeah, it would have killed me. And so um, that's why I say with conviction that, that you know God saved my life with that message, mm-hmm. and it was my attitude that enabled me to to have the grit and the determination to do what I needed to, um, because the you know the, the failure was not an option. I was going to live, and I was going to see my kids again. My how how many was, kids do you have, Steve? I I have two kids. Oh. Uh, they're both in college age right now. They were uh, 17 and 16 at the time of the, or I'm sorry, 17 and 15 at the time of the accident. And, and they could have lost their dad. They could have lost their dad. We were on a spring break ski trip uh, together in Breckenridge, Colorado. Mm. And so they they came and visited me. Um, my wife had some tough decisions to make. Uh, she She's uh, an incredible woman, and her story is um is far worse. Her job was far worse than mine. Yeah. She didn't have the pain. Yeah, you had, had morphine. Yeah, I had morphine. <laughs> they didn't give her morphine. She had to she, just take she, it straight. And then she's also a reason why I'm alive. I, was, I barely survived. Were, were you this positive so before, Steve? Not sorry to interrupt. Were you this positive yeah. before? Honestly, I have to say, uh, maybe not as positive as I am today, but I was always a very positive, optimistic person. And I believe that that saved my life. Um, having that attitude where when I had this accident, um, I, I find it strange now when I look back on it, but it never, never occurred to me that I wouldn't recover. Hmm. And it was the first questions um, that I asked when I woke up um, and the doctors, I woke up the next day, the doctors 
had been telling my wife that because of my um, brain injury, I had bleeding between the skull and the brain, bleeding throughout the brain. I had a severe head injury. And I also had starved oxygen, starved my brain of oxygen on the helicopter ride from Breckenridge to Denver because my lungs and heart weren't working. Oh, wow. And they told her that they weren't sure if I would ever wake up. And if I did wake up, if I would be all there. And so uh, she, um, the next day when I woke up um, and I couldn't talk because I had the breathing tube in, I started making a uh, motion to write. And they scrambled around the room to go get uh, a clipboard and a pen. And I wrote three questions. I wrote, where am I? And my wife responded with, well, you're in the hospital in Denver. And I said, what happened? And she said, uh, well, you, you had a skiing accident. You ran into a tree. And I said, my third question was, when can I go home? And I look like I do it in that picture. <laughs> yeah, you looked, you looked horrible. It was bad. And, and I mean that in the best way possible, but you look <laughs> horrible. But I mean, that, that shows you. And the funny thing is you didn't know any of that. And your wife has to look at you knowing how far yeah. you've got to go. Um, and then I guess you slowly regained your awareness yeah. and, and started figuring out you got a big hole to get out of. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I realize now why they don't put mirrors in ICU rooms. <laughs> that's why. why. I don't see myself. <laughs> oh, man, it's, okay, it's a great story, Steve. Let's take a break. Come back. I want you to take us through. I know you have um, a couple of, of really interesting things like the Amen Run. I want to hear about that and the four principles of positivity and how to develop them. I think we all need it in this world that seems to be collapsing around us, uh, massive, you know, um, shootings and uh, hurricanes, disasters, death, all the things that go on in life, tragedies, um, but we still can approach them with positivity as well. And we have a wonderful guest talking about uh, his crash course in positivity. We'll continue this journey. This is The Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Uh, we are joined on the phone by uh, Stephen H. Lawton, who is the author of the book Head First, A Crash Course in Positivity, where he talks about a life-threatening ski accident um, that he experienced a few years ago and, and really how he was able to eventually, through positivity, through also um, a rubber chicken named Henrietta, and a helmet and a message from God, the, they all combined along with his positivity and support from his wife and kids to to really motivate him to get back and to have a, virtually a full recovery. Steve, thank you so much for being with us and sharing your message. You're welcome. Thank you again. It's great to be with you and sharing it. You bet. What was the, what was the Amen Run? So the Amen Run, we found out much later um, that the actual run, ski run that I was on, where I had the accident, was named the Amen Run. <laughs> really? It was, it was a groomed black diamond run under the sixth chair in Breckenridge, Colorado. If any of your skier, listeners ski in Breckenridge, they yeah. know where that is. The Amen Run, which is funny yeah. because they, some of those runs have pretty scary names. Yeah. So I guess you should always choose the run with the, the more religious name. <laughs> Maybe. Amen. We thought, that, we thought that was... That was we just couldn't believe that that was the name of the run. Wow. Yeah. See, that's that's the thing about positivity, though, right? Because once once you've got it, 
you you start inferring into everything something positive. Right. You start seeing positive things inside of of every challenge that you have. Uh, and it's just that kind of shifting that mindset, what I talk about, changing that mindset from my, why me to what now? And going from instead of feeling sorry for yourself, um, moving to what, what can I do or what are we going to do to help um, resolve this situation? And, you know, it's, 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 you know, none of us like going through these challenges or hard times, um, but it's after you get through those challenges and you're looking back on them, or if you look back now on many of the challenges that you've had up in your life uh, leading up to this moment, each of those challenges has been in some way formative for you and helped you build the skills or the, or the resiliency that you need to, to take you and, and make you as capable as you are today. So it's usually in these challenges when we're learning the most. Hmm. Yeah, and we want we so want to avoid them, don't we? Yes, we really do. And they, you're not in many of these challenges. You're not going to feel positive in the moment. And I can tell you, I wasn't thinking when I was laying on the hospital bed that I had to be positive. Yeah, no. It was just a part of that. It was it's because like I had always been positive. That was my my um, my nature. Positivity offset is what the psychologists call it. As I studied more and more about this after the accident, I learned that there is a lot of um, psychology around the positive mindset. Um, you know, I started studying it when I got home um, from the hospital and I had a severe brain injury and I wanted to know, was I going to recover? That was the one thing that I was most concerned about. So I started studying about the brain and I learned a, a couple things that um, became very powerful part of my message. First was that um, the positive attitude makes a huge difference in the results of the situation you're in. And there's a lot of science now that actually proves this. They've done it with uh, uh, school students. Um, uh, there's a lot of, like a Dr. Amy Cuddy, a Harvard professor, yeah. studied, studied it um, and did it and proved it with a positive mindset and job interviews. So over and over again, they have pro- science has proven that a positive, confident mindset leads to um, better results. And so that was kind of the first thing I was super lucky to have brought a positive mindset to that situation. And I just had that goal. I'm going to recover 100%. What do I need to do now to get there? And so that that really helped to save me. Yeah. And the second thing I, I learned was that um, it was, I, I was super thrilled about it because of the brain injury was this concept of neuroplasticity, um, that our brains are constantly rewiring themselves based on what we think and what we do. And so all I had to do to recover from my brain injury, and I had a a deficit with memory recall and task switching speed. Those are the two areas um, of my cognitive function that were, um, uh, that I had problems with. So all I had to do to recover that was basically practice it over and over again. I do memory tests and do task switching tests, things to work those muscles, so to speak, in my brain. And my brain was able to slowly over time rebuild those neuron connections through neuroplasticity. And that's important for people with brain injuries, and it's important for everybody in everyday life um, that you can, and there's science behind this as well, they've studied um, the positivity offset, and people that practice positivity um, have a a stronger positivity circuits uh, in their brain. They've done it by studying people that keep gratitude journals, and they looked at MRIs of the brain before and after and showed a change in the structure of the brain 
after just seven days of a positivity of a gratitude journal. And that neuroplasticity, those neuron connections were still there 30 days later. Hmm. So it's just like working out at the gym, um, but it's, I, I call it attitude fitness. It's fitness for your, for your attitude, for your positivity. Man, that's beautiful. So, it also helps. It was, I mean, that neuroplasticity also says that you can change habits, right? You can yes. change long, long-standing yes. habits just by by continual repetition. Right. You just have to practice it. You have to, with focused, positive, purposeful effort, and you do it over time. It doesn't happen instantly. It happens a little bit every day, but over time, you'll notice a difference in your attitude and your. Um, positivity and how you approach situations. Um, it, it, it's, it's an, it's really amazing. Yeah. Uh, and I was thrilled when I, when I read about it and learned about it, not only because I had that brain injury, but how important it, a part of that message is about my lessons of, of positivity. Um, that there's, there's basically three of them. It's like your your attitude controls or has an influence on the results that you get in everyday situations. The second thing is, you can change your attitude through neuroplasticity by just simply working on it and practicing it. Uh, and the next time you're in a difficult or challenging situation, you are going to be more likely to just naturally approach that challenge or that situation with a positive attitude and come out of it on the other side, learning a lot more than you would have and recovering a lot faster than you would have otherwise. And then the third message is just the things that you can do, practical things you can do to be more positive. Give us, give us one of those. We have about a minute left. What would be like the one most important one we can do today? The one most important one we can do today, I would say, is recognizing someone or giving someone a compliment, a specific compliment or recognition to someone else that you know, that you work with, that you see, um, that has done something. You say, man, Matt, I've thoroughly enjoyed this interview with you. You have brought out my story and made it real and powerful. And I want to thank you um, for your skill in, in doing that. It means a lot to me to share my story. And I want to thank you for, for doing that. Mm. Now, I hope you get a boost. You yeah. should be getting a boost of your positivity um, and your attitude just from that compliment. And I really do mean that. No, absolutely. I get a boost from it um, because the giver and the receiver both get a big boost. And everybody who witnesses that also gets a boost. Um, not to the same extent as you and I, but they get a, a little bit of a boost. So if all of us could just go recognize someone um, and do it in a heartfelt manner and express specifically what they did, what it meant to you or the effect that it had on the situation, um, you can affect the people around you. And maybe we could start to change this world a little bit at a time. So, so true. Stephen H. Lawton, thank you so much for your time. Everybody, go check out the book, Head First, A Crash Course in Positivity. And uh, just go to the website, too, Steve, uh, Steve H. Lawton.com, where you can watch the videos of his miraculous recovery. And let's take these to heart and see if we can't lift the world and make it a better place, as Stephen just suggested. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome to her house. She is looking up house. She is here to break down. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. McKenna Vouse is in the house. And uh, that can only mean one thing. It's time for a mind bender. McKenna likes to come in and, and twist our minds. Today she's going to help us focus more. That is indeed what I am That is indeed what I'm going to be helping you with. Yes. Because it's like 
you've got a world where everybody's vying for your attention. Kids, technology, media, all these things, they all want your focus. And I only have so much to go around. Yeah, me too. I feel like there's just always so many things that you can be focusing on. It gets difficult and you need a little extra boost. Yeah, to totally. What, so what should we – what do we need to know? Okay, so I have got uh, several different tips yep. that can help. And a lot of them are not the kinds that you'd be thinking. A lot of times you think, okay, I need to buckle down, yeah. get rid of distractions. And a lot of these sort of show that that is exactly the opposite of what you actually want to be doing. Really? Science says there's other ways to focus? Yeah. So one of the best ways is to start by just taking some time to zone out. Oh, yeah. Studies show that we spend about 50% of our time daydreaming in some form or another. And if it's accidental daydreaming, that's the kind that is going to get in the way of your productivity. But if you're allowing yourself, like consciously make that decision, okay, I'm going to allow myself to sort of zone out here. It can really be good for creativity, can sort of free up mind space and can let you then come back to your work. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So take a little break. Allow yourself to really zone out. Mm-hmm. I mean, just as long as you're not operating heavy machinery. Exactly. But we yeah. can do this at work, right? Well, I thought you were. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So, so some other good ones are finding a way to give your, let yourself have a good laugh. Funny cat videos are actually really beneficial. They did a study <laughs> where they had some people watch a relaxing video uh-huh. and some people watch a funny cat video and then had them try and work on this like impossible puzzle. And the people who watched the funny cat video always did better. Getting that bit of laugh makes you sort of have this extra boost to be able to work harder for longer. Or is it really that cat people are just better at puzzles? It's also a possibility. Okay. But I don't you buy that a little because you get a little endorphin push. Yeah, you're happier. And I think yeah. when you're happier... You're willing to like our last work guest. Our, and when you're happier, your positivity and your mood changes your reality. Exactly. And I think that's a perfect example that's of great. that. Um, another one is letting yourself have distra- distractions around you. There's some studies that show our brain sort of has all these different s- slots yeah. oh, for I have a million, what it can yeah. process. It works. And when all of those are full, then your brain has to really decide that it's going to focus. And that's when that gear clicks in there you go so have a messy desk have noise going on in the background you know have different things going on and you might be able to focus better than if everything is clean and there's nothing going on speaking of distraction i think that means we have one more time for one more (laughs) uh mckenna what's one more lesson take time to just stop working go for a run meditate yes leave the project do something else walk away come back later i'm gonna do it um i'll see you later See ya. I'm out of here. I'll be back in a bit. McKenna, that's great insight. And really, it really goes counter to what we think, right? Exactly. We're always thinking like control and force. And this is more just saying, let stuff go. Let, let stuff, stuff go. happen. The concentration will come if you just let it do it in its own time. Hmm. Maybe don't build it. Just leave it in chaos and it will come. See, that's it. McKenna, thanks. Great insight. Uh, let's now turn to do a little empty news, a little headlines for us from our headline, empty news headline um, reporter, Jeffrey Liam Simpson. Matt, speaking of being positive, if you and I were to go into realty, yes, if we we're realtors, we, you know, we would want to put a positive spin on things. Some oh, of the spin, less spin, desirable spin. aspects about a home, right? Right. So, for instance, if you were to be showing a small home, you wouldn't say small. Well, how would you describe it? I would have it um, um, 
uh, what's it called? Uh, cozy? Uh, uh, square foot challenged. Okay. Or cozy, right? Oh, cozy. Could be cozy. Yeah. What about noisy? How would you put a positive spin on that? Uh, noisy. Um, active. Active. There you go. Oh, on a house? Yeah. How about dangerous? Dangerous, I would say challenging. Full of excitement. <laughs> Exciting. There you go. So uh, there's this home in Michigan there, uh, this real estate agent selling this house that's next to a cemetery. She's promoting it with a sign that says, Quiet Neighbors. Wow. Yeah, they are. <laughs> Very quiet neighbors. So uh, so Shane Broyle says the, the message immediately came to mind when he saw the four-bedroom house <laughs> in DeWitt, which is in the middle of the state near Lansing. He says his grandparents knew a man who lived next to a cemetery and joked about it. Broyles told the Lansing State Journal that he hadn't previously used humor to market a house, but he says there's not much point to life without some fun, right? The seller, Deborah Perrin, likes uh, the quiet neighbor sign. She says she can guarantee there won't be a new subdivision going up in the cemetery. Interesting. See, that's so great. You'll, you'll, uh, yeah, you'll have views forever. Exactly. And lots of parking. Just putting a positive spin on it, right? Yeah, but it's still a cemetery. Would that bother you? Yeah. You would never have any uh, neighbor disputes? See, it's when you try to put in the new subdivision that you run into problems. Because right. every scary movie involves somebody who built the house on an old cemetery. cemetery. Right. But, so you don't do that. Well, no, but there's the other things, right? There's the grave robbers. There's the kids messing around out there. There's the ghosts. There's the goblins. There's the bloodsuckers. There's the... The dangerous things. Yeah, but, you know, you've heard the old saying, those ghost goblins and bloodsuckers are more afraid of you than you are of them. I've never heard that. Oh. That's good advice, though. Interesting stuff. Great headline. See, folks, life could be worse. You could be trying to sell a house next to a cemetery. Ah, stick with us. Doing what we can on this program to give you a leg up in life, hopefully help you see the good as well. There is a lot of difficult stuff going on today, uh, but also we are lucky to be who we are. So let's continue the journey. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1 855 Chat BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Terry South and Jeff Simpson doing what we can on the program to get you a healthier life, hopefully. Uh, also bring uh, maybe some. Peace to your heart as you hear and listen to the news today about the shooting in Las Vegas. I'm sure you've been hearing all the details and probably know them better than any of us. But uh, tragedy again, um, 400 plus injured in a shooting in Las Vegas. Now, I guess the largest mass shooting in the United States history. Which is crazy because according to the statistics you read last hour, yeah. we've got 300 338 Shootings. Now, they, they classify a mass shooting as four people shot or dead or injured from the event. And there's been 300? There's 338 of those events in this year, since 20th, since January. Jeez. Notice, but how many of those have you heard of? Not that many. Well, 40? Again, it's like, you know, when you have three, four, when four people are injured, yeah. you're like, eh, that's only four. 
crazy. That's where we're at as a as a society now, where four doesn't really make it to the news. Now it'll, it'll make it on your local news, but nationally, eh, yeah, stuff happens on the other side of the country. Yeah, that happens every day. I mean, there's yeah. So, uh, how do you get through it? We're going to be talking uh, for a bit about it, but in the end, this is just something that makes no sense. A guy, ten guns, apparently was in this was in the. Uh, hotel there for About four or five days. Yeah, yeah, and then decided to open fire on a country western festival. Twenty-two thousand people gathered, shooting a gun across the the boulevard into this crowd, and then that caused a rush and a stampede, and a bunch of people got crushed. And I hope the conversation will quickly turn from you know. Talking about this guy who killed all these people, to st- stories about the people that were the killed, heroes. the victims and the families, and yeah. and I think and that I, we've yet to even I don't like telling his name, but I mean you got it's a news story, so people give his name, but there are a lot of heroes that came out of this. There's a lot of uh, amazing stuff, plus just the mere fact that the medical facilities are able to handle this kind of rush. I mean, Las Vegas seems like a big city, <clears throat> not really, no. And uh, one, I guess, one trauma, one hospital there. That's what I was reading. So that that tier that then you know I, I was the tier one trauma center. They have, you know, the uh, the full scope of services, n- and, neurology, yeah. all this kind of stuff on staff, ready to go at a moment's notice. Not every hospital has that. Obviously, right. it's kind of expensive to do. And uh, when you have a tragedy like this, you need that type of a emergency response. Oh. And so bigger, bigger cities, they have two or three of those hospitals. Yeah. There's one here. So they've been trying to do that. They were saying basically during that period overnight, if you had a heart attack, you couldn't go to that hospital. That It's a university hospital, I think, at UNLV. You're going to need to have mm. your heart attack gonna somewhere have, You're going to have to go somewhere else, <laughs> and they'll, they'll figure that out there. Crazy. Yeah. Ah, well, um, that we got a lot to cover there. Let's let's get to the headlines then, Terry. What uh, what's going on that we should be paying attention to? The brother of the man suspected of, of perpetrating the mass shooting in Las Vegas Sunday night, the deadliest such event in U.S. history, on Monday, said that his family had no idea why the gunman opened fire on a crowd of concert goers. There is no reason we can imagine why Stephen would do something like this. The suspect's brother, Eric. Hudson Paddock told the Las Vegas Review-Journal, We have no idea how this happened. Police on Monday identified Stephen Paddock, the 64-year-old man from Mesquite, Nevada, as the suspect in the mass shooting. Eric Hudson Paddock, the brother, said NBC uh, told NBC News that his brother was just a guy who was retired and was uh, visiting Las Vegas to gamble and go to shows. That's what he knew. Mm. Uh, nothing beyond that. Police in Mesquite, Nevada, searched his home this morning and found nothing out of the ordinary, they said. I watched a press conference with the police there. Nothing out of the ordinary. Just a house, and there's a huge community of 55-plus. Oh, And so not a lot of, you know, nothing to report, basically, is what they were saying. President Trump just spoke to the nation and said that we're joined together today in a day of sadness, shock, and grief. The Las Vegas attack was an act of pure evil, and he announced that he will be visiting Las Vegas on Wednesday. That'll be a day after he visits Puerto Rico. Wow. He's getting there pretty quick. Lots of frequent flyer miles for... President Trump. Yeah. Crossing the nation that way. But you do that as president. You got to do that. So he's going to be there. Um, and other- apparently President but President Trump's words were uplifting and... He read from a prepared statement, yes. Okay. No. Of, course, of course, you know, his problem is when he doesn't. So. Yeah. Okay. At just, the moment, I just wanted to check. At the moment, he's doing great. Yeah. 
Good. Uh, the Islamic State Group has claimed responsibility for the mass shooting in Las Vegas. Of course. According to the Associated Press, they said the perpetrator was a soldier who had recently converted Islam months ago. All this, of course, without any evidence to support the claim. Yeah. Just thought it. Hmm. Insert that since the AP decided to put that out. Okay. So uh, Ohio Governor John Kasich, you and uh, Joe Cannon earlier in the show spoke of this, isn't ready to turn his back on the Republican Party just yet, but told CNN Sunday that he won't remain part of the GOP if it stays on its current path. If the party can't be fixed, then I'm not going to be able to support the party. He said that's the end of it. Kasich, an outspoken cr- uh, critic of President Trump, wants the GOP to stop bending to the will of the nationalist wing and for the party to be straightened out. The public is unhappy with Republicans and, and Democrats alike, he said, and they want to return to center. What I'm trying to do is struggle for the soul of the Republican Party the way I see it, he said. Well, but, but uh, is he talking about Donald Trump, President Trump? He's just talking about the party. Because Well, the, but he said the nationalist wing of it, but that... That not that how President Trump won? He didn't win with the moderate wing. Right. It's, his, it's his party, and he'll cry if he wants to. Allegedly. Yeah. I don't know if there's any tears involved here. <laughs> well, okay. We'll see where that goes. House Speaker Paul Ryan on Sunday defended President Trump from allegations of racism amid his criticisms of the NFL and players who knelt during the national anthem. He goes, I know his heart's in the right place, Ryan said on CBS referencing the displeasure with the president's reaction to the Charlottesville white supremacist rallies. He goes, I've had some candid conversations with him about this. Last year, Ryan rebuked Trump for his attacks on Mexican-American federal judge, calling the attacks the textbook definition of racist remarks. Yeah. Well, uh, others are now saying some of his remarks about the people in Puerto Rico that are just all sitting back waiting kind of for the handout. Yeah. They, some are inferring that might be racist. Yeah. Okay. So I, I don't know. I mean, we're. It seems like we're we're coloring this with everything else the president has done in the past. Yeah. And that everything he's going to ever do is going to be with this idea that he d- hates somebody, and it might just be he's saying he feels like people down there are asking too much. Yeah. It might just. I mean, a I lot of again, we always kind of assume that there's a congruent theory behind everything that a person does but hmm. maybe the president's theory is to not be congruent hmm incongruent incongruity is the principle of the trump presidency consistently incongruent yeah because it, so it's huh. maybe it's more situational right you know do you feel like everything that comes out of your mouth though even if you haven't put much thought into it really says a lot about you as a person like oh if he said that one comment without thinking well then he's a racist well yeah in a way but but i i just think a lot of us i think president trump is really good at stirring stuff up and i think right. he has theories and the theories are it's not so much what i'm saying to you right now it's the mere fact that i have three people grabbing the wallet from behind your back pocket that's I mean, he's got other things going on. So I just think and, one of his principles that he does use regularly is chaos. And a lot of Joe Cannon references earlier, ready, fire, aim is kind of how yeah. the Twitter response goes from the president. Sometimes it's like maybe he's just purely emotional as he grabs right. his phone and fires something out. As someone attacks him, he's punching back like yeah. they always say he likes to do. Instead of maybe thinking about it, talking to some people, figuring out what the best approach to this, he just... I heard a, 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 a interview, the uh, staff that worked with President Obama with his social media. And before they tweeted something, even like Mitt Romney had a similar system. Yeah. Before something went out on Twitter or Facebook, it went through like four or five different hands. 
Well, sure. Is this, is this yeah. what we want to do? There's somebody in yeah. charge of messaging at the yeah. White House. Let's make sure this this message we want to put out is with what we're trying to put forward yeah. as our image and what we're trying to say. Is this you know whatever the policy or the the messaging at the moment we're gonna this does this work? And then they mess with it. And, okay, this is how we want to put it out, and that doesn't happen. No. It just it just goes out, and that's there's probably no the problem, biggest problem. But but I guess that's why this is so strange, right? Because he just he does it so differently. Than every other president, and yet, you know, some would say sometimes this is working. It's it may not it may not be the cuddly, warm, loving there's, there's moment, of, but it is. It's I think it is distracting yeah. some people. It, so, it's, so, I think it's actually distracting a lot of people. Quite a bit, yeah. But it may not. It, it may wear you down so much that you don't care anymore. Could be. Wrong. There's just so much of it. You just kind of okay. Why well, don't we yeah. just sort of cloud that out and don't worry about it? And then, so it would be. You know, we've never had a media that that had this much information coming from one president all the time. So maybe what his goal is is to eventually break the media, wear them out. I don't know because I think a lot of people are ready to just give up on trying to keep up with it all. It's rather tough. Maybe it would work better if we, you know, everyone just took a break. And instead, go pray for the people in Vegas. Las Vegas, yeah. <sighs> it's sad. Like, again, a, this is going to go 500 different directions about what What about guns? What about ammo? What about automatic weapons? See, this is why we don't need automatic weapons. What about security in Las Vegas or any place that has a lot of people? What about mental health? What about everything else we're going to find out? And the reality is... Nobody has answers because you don't solve some of these problems. Is this an ammo problem, a gun problem? Well, this wouldn't happen without a gun. Well, it, you sure. I mean. Would you find a different way? Well, yeah. You drive through crowds. Right. I mean, that's what other people are doing, right? Other London attacks, they're all knife attacks. Mm-hmm. You'll find bombs. I mean, this is a bigger problem. People, we're losing people in the system. We're not, you know, some people don't feel like they belong. And then they protest, and then there's a huge blowback. Hmm. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's crazy. It's a crazy time to live. Um, but also, I guess there's there there's there's got to be good stories. It's still too early, probably in the in the scenario to start to know a lot of the good stories. But I guarantee a lot of hero stories. Will there's come out stories of, this. of I heard a woman this morning who was on a call-in show of some kind where they were just talking to people who were at the the concert and she had a she was running like everyone else she dropped her purse so she didn't have her keys and there was a she knew she had a hide a key type one of those little plastic Mm -hmm. magnet type things on her truck so she knew she had a a way out yeah and she was able to get to the hide a key get in the truck and then she just yelled out the window anybody want to get out of here jump in a bunch of people jumped in her truck and she tore off how quickly could people have been getting away though I would imagine well, that, it was... That, that was the other problem was everyone ran to their car. Yeah. And you, you've tried to get out of these places. Oh, it's yeah. insane. And so, yeah, people just driving over fences and all kinds of stuff. Apparently, they away. also ran to other casinos and mm-hmm. the other casinos then brought them in. And I guess they did a really good job with security at getting them in, but then searching them all and then putting them in really large rooms. Oh, that's you know, a good... Wow. To, yeah, the ball that's smart. They yeah. Have and stuff, yeah. But they were terrified because then there were other things like that. There's multiple gunmen heading all through the um, all through the strip. So 
I mean, the chaos that comes out and then phones aren't working. And if you've ever gone in some of these casinos, you couldn't get a phone to work to save your life. Mm. Mm. Crazy stuff. Intense. And and really um, not something that, you know, again, anyone will ever experience except vicariously. But you've all – you've been to a concert before just having fun and imagine all of a sudden guns ringing out or gunfire ringing right. out and then you've got to make sense of it all and then get – you're in a locked environment. You're like there's walls up, there's fences. They they have video of people being carried out on stretchers and and makeshift stretchers, fences that are they're carrying people out on. So wow. crazy stuff. Again, our prayers, our our best wishes go out to all of them and and anybody really just even watching it that's traumatized. Remember, this is this is what we talk a lot about on the show that we're always just one disaster away, one one situation like this away from realizing how much we need each other. And maybe it's time that we do come together and 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 just realize that it's great to have your opinion and your view, but we also need to make sure people feel heard and accepted and cared for. Again, I think we'll find a lot more out about uh, the gentleman that was uh, responsible for this coming up. Also, um, let's uh, let's – do this, Jeff. Let's get to a little. It's it's not an easy story, but let's get to some of our headlines and and see if we could lighten the mood a little bit uh, on empty news. So, okay, we know that there's been some stories recently in the news about government officials that might be abusing their privileges a little bit yeah. too much. You know, yes, airplanes, for example. Exactly. So there's an Arkansas woman who admitted to using county cash. To buy something. What? What did she use the cat? Let's just say some people love their dogs or cats, any pet, a little too much. Okay? So a former administrative assistant to an Arkansas County official has pleaded guilty to fraudulent use of a credit card after prosecutors accused her of using public money to buy personal items, including a tuxedo for her pet dog. Huh? Do dogs wear tuxedos? I guess, if you squeeze them in there hard enough. (laughs) Christy Goss was set for trial this week, but pleaded guilty. Uh, Authorities accused Goss of fraudulently charging $200,000 to a Garland County credit card on purchases, including the dog tuxedo, a diamond bracelet, tickets to the Arkansas Razorback sporting events, uh, sequined throw pillows, and pet insurance. Well, she loved that dog, didn't she? I think it's a good thing I don't have a pet because I would never even imagine to buy pet insurance. No. I would just be concerned about the pet going on my carpet. I'm lucky to have people insurance. (laughs) So uh, she had worked as an administrative assistant for the Garland County judge in Hot Springs, about 45 miles southwest of Little Rock. And uh, she'll be sentenced November 22nd. Holy cow. So... Don't steal from people. Well, but at first, I you you said she loved her dog, and then I kind of believed that. But if you really loved your dog, would you squeeze it into a tuxedo? I know. That seems like PETA should become involved in this, yeah. right? Step you know in what? and say that's Buy cruelty. Buy him a steak. If you love your dog, <laughs> get him a steak. Cruelty to animals. Just give him a nice rub behind the ears. Here's uh, another one you yeah. might find interesting. So... What's the one thing that you would want to make sure that you could successfully get away with in a robbery if you were robbing, let's say, a a gas station? 
Well, I, the one thing I'd want to get away with, obviously, is my life. The second thing would obviously be the cash. Okay. That I was trying to steal. Well, none of that's going to do you any good if you run out of gas. Oh, no. So authorities say an Indiana man who robbed a gas station made off with food and drinks. What he didn't steal was gas. A state trooper arrested 33-year-old Sean Harris on Wednesday after finding him stranded by the side of a two-lane highway with his vehicle out of fuel. Police say the South Bend area man's blood alcohol level was above the legal limit. Authorities say Harris was arrested not long after he entered the gas station, implied he had a gun, and took the items. He forgot the gas. He, he, that's, you might as well have forgotten your getaway vehicle at that point. Right. You've just blown it. You need <laughs> your gas. And then can you imagine when he got out to the car and his wife's like, you forgot the gas? Seriously. <laughs> you forgot the gas. How oh. many times? Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, though. I mean, if you were at the counter saying, give me the money, give me those Slim Jims and fill up number two. <laughs> Unleaded, please. But you can't. You can't. In the middle of a heist, you can't fill up the car. That's rule number 44. Yeah. Be prepared. Go to the heist you know with a tank full of gas. Some people deserve to be caught. Yeah. We can't do everything you said for it. you. <laughs> crazy, crazy stuff. Well, we'll continue uh, giving the advice to uh, the bank robbers and how to make sure they fill up their, their car first. Really, we're here to help you be good, to live the healthier, happier life. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Did you know that the Federal Reserve says the average American family with credit card debt carries more than $15,000 in balances on their cards alone? It is so easy to swipe the card and live uh, the life of luxury these days. But luxury comes with a price, and that price is a lot more than what uh, they charge you at the store. You might think that you're providing for your family by buying specialty foods or top-of-the-line cars and clothes, but maybe you're actually hurting your family, teaching bad spending habits and burying them in a financial hole. A few months ago, uh, we had a financial expert and award-winning personal credit writer, Holly Johnson, on the show, and she discussed with us an article she had written, The Upside-Down Reason Most Americans Are Broke. And uh, she helped us realize that some of our spending and, and, mis- and saving mistakes uh, could be fixed if we would just pay more attention. We started the interview by saying, how can we be upside down when everyone is doing the same thing? I wrote the article partly to share my story when... My husband and I were in our 20s. We lived just the same way everyone else did. We spent whatever we wanted. We tried to save whatever was left. We didn't reach our goals. We wanted things, but we didn't take steps to earn the things that we wanted. And um, basically what I shared in my article is I think we're all doing it backwards. We're doing everything backwards because we buy what we want. We spend what we want. We create lifestyles we want, and then we try to save what's left and if you look at the statistics, we're failing. Oh, it's so true. It's yeah. It used to be, you know, you could only eat the the products you had raised, right? You had to right. you had to earn it before you could consume it and have it. We live in a weird world where we're extended credit before we even know what credit is, and we know more about what's happening with Justin Bieber than we do what's happening with our own wallet. Exactly. That's so true. Cheap and easy credit is to blame along with with ourselves because 
you can buy anything you want if you charge it. And um, the bank's going to see if you can afford that monthly payment, but they're not going to figure out if, you know, this is a good purchase for you or if it's going to harm your other long-term financial goals. Mm. Um, so if you rely on that credit and build a lifestyle you can't afford, it's easy to build like a house of cards. And, and we, I can see it with our own family. We just we make decisions. My son's cell phone broke. We went. My wife took it in. She was sold a bill of goods, and my son came home with a six hundred dollars cell phone. Yeah, and I'm exactly. like, but it's only twenty dollars you know a month, Holly. Yeah, a lot of those phones, people are actually making payments on them. And when you think about how absurd that is, I mean, it's really nuts that it's we crazy. created lifestyles that are just built on, you know, slavery, making that monthly payment forever. And I was already paying insurance to insure another expensive phone that would have covered the price anyway. And we'll fix that. Just we didn't communicate it very well. But I can only imagine how many people are out there because you have to have a phone, right? And you have to have a car. And we then go talk to the people at the car dealer and they're not going to be dishonest. Right. Talk to us. What are some other common mistakes we're making? Just middle-class Americans, the average Joe, what are we doing wrong? Um, Well, there are lots of things. Uh, First of all, if you look at how much we're spending on cars as a percentage of our income, it's ridiculous. The first quarter of 2016, according to the newest state of the automotive finance market study from Experian, the average new car payment is $503 a month. Mm. Um, the average new car loan is more than $30,000 and for 68 months. Oh, wow. And when you think about the fact that the average household income is somewhere in the mid $50,000, that's absolutely absurd. Um, you know, you mentioned cell phones. I talked to a friend the other day whose family has a $300 cell phone payment every month, but they're, like, struggling to, to pay their bills. And I said, can't you... Um, can't you change plans? Well, we really need unlimited data is what she said. I mean, people don't think about these things in relation to their actual lives. We assume we need it and yeah. we do anything to get it. And then we struggle in all the aspects of our lives that are important. And if, if, you know, if everyone could go through kind of what you went through and had that aha moment, it might be handy. It's just you know, if all of a sudden we had to come up with an extra $300 a month in order to save, you know, our child or do something really, really important, we would probably be able to see clearly that we maybe don't need all the data. Well, I think that I think the the biggest problem, the broad problem is that nobody thinks about the long term. We're all in it for today or this week or this month or even this year, but um, we don't think about you know, I know so many people who want to help their kids pay for college, but they aren't saving for college. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Those years go by fast, and all of a sudden they're going to be there, and they're not going to have a dime saved. Or they want to take that family vacation every year, but they don't—they didn't bother to set up a savings account to save, you know, $100 a month. Or they want to retire early, but they're not really contributing to their 401K, or they're contributing very little. I mean, it's all about just thinking about what you really want in life and then taking steps to do it. And if you don't do it, chances are you're not going to get what you want in life. Right. And then, but you know what? Then we'll just get student loans. <laughs> and our <laughs> child then, then we didn't do what we were going to do anyway. Our child may have thought right. that we were, and now they're taking out a student loan and they're starting exactly. their life then, with debt. 
Right. And then they're going to learn that the exact same thing, that whatever they can't afford that they can charge and then they can just make payments on it forever. I mean, it's a, it's a very bad cycle, but it's something that most people are doing. And when you're not doing it, when you're living a debt-free lifestyle and when you don't have nice things, you're the, you're the outsider. Man, it's very, it's very strange. It, it is strange, and it's. I, I think what what you're teaching us too is that you got to be different. You got to go almost. You got to swim upstream instead you of you know keep pretending like it's okay to keep swimming the way we're swimming. Let's take sure. a break and come back, Holly. Have you go through some of your 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 solutions, some of the the reasons why we're broke? Continue talking about that, and what are some of the fixes? What are some of the things we can do to turn this all around? Again, we're speaking with Holly Johnson. From the website clubthrifty.com, clubthrifty.com. She's going to help us stop spending and start living. Wouldn't that be great to live life on your own terms? We'll be right back helping you uh, live longer and hopefully with more of your own money. We'll be back. Today we're talking about your finances and how we may be upside down, and it's probably our thinking that's driving this weird situation where the average home is carrying about $15,000 worth of credit card debt. Joining us is Holly Johnson. She's a financial expert, award-winning writer who is obsessed with frugality, budgeting, and travel. And what I love, too, is she's teaching us about the impact that all of this has on our kids. Your kids are watching how you spend and how you save. Your kids, if you make about 4000 a month and your car payment, the average car payment is $550, you are, and you maybe have two of you with car payments, you're spending 25% of your income on a car. That's crazy. Now, that doesn't even include gas or no. insurance or and insurance either. and right and <laughs> getting it's a nice car you got to get it washed every week. Sure. So we're upside down as we do this, but you you point out on clubthrifty.com it really is about your family. It's about the the model you're holding up for your kids. Absolutely. That's honestly we're, you know, late 30s now, but our realizations came in our 20s when we were having kids because before you have kids, it's easy just to think that, you know, you can take care of yourself. And if you're in debt, you'll pay it off later. But when you have kids, you think about, gosh, how am I going to help these kids pay for college? How am I going to provide for these children? How am I going to give them the opportunities that they deserve? Um, Having kids was huge for us because it wasn't just us anymore. It was all of us. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, it also changes your lifestyle. They cost more. I mean, I remember, looking at each diaper as a transaction like is it worth the investment yet should we wait yeah it's it's a big deal and i mean even the wipies my wife would look at me and she's like how many wipies did you just use to change that diaper and i'm like four and she she's like we can't afford that you've got to get more out of each wipey anyway it's so you give us five reasons why we're we are upside down the first one is we couldn't we don't we can't afford our lifestyle we need to kind right. of get real with that, right? 
Yeah, I think like decades ago, people had to live within their means because they didn't have the access to cheap and easy credit that we have now. And these days, people don't even know what that means to live within your means. I mean, what does that mean? Right. Um, So we build these lifestyles based on what we want. We get the new phone with the huge monthly payment, the new car. We want to have a nice apartment. We want to go out to dinner with our friends, go to happy hour and all that stuff. And we don't ever think, does this make any sense with how much money I earn? Because most of the time it doesn't. That's why people are, you know, as you said, $15,000 in credit card debt on average. That's why people save almost nothing is because they spend with no concept of what they can truly afford. We, We also, you say, we're selfish. We yeah. we actually we're kind of the me 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 group. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, we want and, it now. Yeah, we want it now. And doggone it, if I have an impulsive desire, you better feed it. Yeah. And, and if sure. you don't feed it, there, I mean, there's got to be somebody that'll help me get my need met. We never learn to tell ourselves no. Yeah. This is a. It's a it's a it's an interesting generation, and I don't. This isn't just millennials. This is no. a lot of us, right? We've kind of oh gosh. We always yeah. thought we should be able to live like our parents, even if we didn't earn it, even if we weren't, exactly. you know, didn't have that same level of income. Another point that I I think is really important, and I haven't thought of it um, before, is we are wasteful. We have oh, so yeah. much junk. We have to have storage units to hold it. Yep. We're not even using it. And then we toss it. Is it are these the issues that you noticed, you know, in your own financial, you know, redo and and restart? Did you have to come to a reckoning of all of these? Oh yeah, actually, one of the first things we did is we started tracking our spending. And um, one thing I mentioned in the article is that we found out we were spending more than a thousand dollars on food each month. A lot of that was dining out, and um, that's the kind of waste I'm talking about. Like. We were in a hurry, so instead of making dinner, we'd just go out to dinner, you know, pay $40 for that mediocre meal at O'Charlie's or whatever. But over the course of a month and a year, that adds up to so much money, and it's just wasteful. With just a little planning, you can waste less money on things you're not even really enjoying. You Mm. can buy less. You can learn to reuse things. You can learn to repurpose things. Um, All those little changes can make a huge difference. It's so true. How many times have I like I I buy my phone, I buy my screen protector, I keep my I I take care of it. I have one charger that lasts me a long time, and I I notice even with my kids, they're just they're going through every part of it so quickly. And I'm thinking, we need to teach you guys how to how to conserve, like how to save, how to. We don't have to have five hundred chargers. Let's just have. <laughs> Three and everyone share, and they look at me like I'm crazy. Uh, right. One other point that I think was super important um, is the fact that we keep blaming everyone else for why we are in debt. What do you mean by, you know, kind of losing the blame game? Well, how many people do you know who are angry at the boss that they can't get a raise or that their raise wasn't as good as they wanted last year, but yet they spend every penny they make regardless? Right. So, like, all the time we're blaming all these other people. We didn't get a raise from our boss. You know, I pay too much in taxes. This is ridiculous. And when we do that, we give up the power to control what we do have some power over, which is our own spending, our own budgeting, our own judgment, 
um, keeping our bills in line. We have power, but we give it away when we blame all of our circumstances on other people. So true. And I guess to fix this and to right side and, you know, and move us back upward, how do we, uh, I guess we just do the opposite, right? We manage our lifestyle. We, we become a little, I guess, more selfless instead of selfish. We watch our waste. What other tricks or tools do you teach on clubthrifty.com that might help us you know, get, get our lives back here? Well, I mean, one big thing that we do every month, and this is um, a huge topic of interest on me. I actually just authored a book on budgeting called Zero Down Your Debt. It comes out in January. Is We use a monthly budget. It's not complicated. We basically just estimate our expenses for the month and create a monthly budget and then figure out at the beginning of the month how much we're going to save, how much we're going to put in our retirement accounts, how much we're going to put in our vacation fund. So I think one big tip is just to be actionable about it, because when you don't, um, when you're not actionable, actionable about it, life just happens, right? Mm-hmm. You just spend whatever. At the end of the month, there's no, no money left over. You don't know where it went. But when you start the month with a clean budget, you've thought about what you want and what your family needs, then you stay on track. So mm. that's a big part of it, budgeting. Budgeting, and that's the B word that... So many people try to avoid in a relationship or a marriage. I know doing relationship coaching, how many couples have their their marriages fall apart because they can't they can't get actionable on their money. So it's I mean I think you're right on and, and just measuring it right, just keeping a tally of where it's going, it will become more obvious to you what you can get rid of or fix. Well, here's the thing about budgeting that people don't realize. People think it's restrictive and that it's going to take away from you. But budgeting is actually how to get what you want in life. Because when you're not wasting money on things you don't want, you can save for the things that you do. Like when I create a monthly budget this month and next month, we're going on two vacations. That's in my budget because I planned for it and I saved for it and it's in my budget. Budgets don't have to be a bad thing. They don't have to be take away from your life in a lot of ways they give you what you what you want yeah power control and your dreams really and family time and and effort that's one of the headlines it says on your site welcome to club thrifty life uh live life on your own terms stop spending start living yeah heaven forbid exactly well we appreciate the insight i i truly holly think it's uh i think you're dead on we are so upside down with very basic principles that could be fixed uh thank you so much for being with us Thank you. You bet. Everybody, go check out clubthrifty.com. Great principles and a wonderful blogging site as well as other articles she's written about. Also, they get into travel as well and how to travel on a budget. Fun stuff, folks, helping you live longer and really find your life. Let's start living, for heaven's sakes. might take a little money, but it also could just take a little saving. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. <sighs> BYU uh, football had a had a pretty difficult weekend, and who better to help us come you know come to an understanding about what happened than our good friends at BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jerem? Hello, gentlemen. What's up? Hi, Matt. How are you, people? Uh, I was. We're doing done. All right. 
until you played that song. You Weird know, time. The, the, There's always <laughs> next year. <laughs> Who was that for, by the way? Which NFL team? That, that, yeah, that was for the 49ers. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, the poor 49ers. Okay. Hey, um... So, just so you guys know, I I couldn't get the game on my television. That's probably a good thing. Yeah, but I listened to it. In fact, I heard Ben Bagley doing the halftime oh, yeah. show thing or whatever. Didn't Ben do a nice job? He did a great job. You know, his voice he is... He should work in radio one day. Yeah, he ought to try it. Um, it his voice is so sultry and rich. It's so deep. Yeah. Buttery. Hey, um... Like a good piece of toast. <laughs> yeah. Like a really rich, good, deep, uh, yeah. luscious piece of rye bread toast. Hey, talk to me about um, the game. Well, let's see. If you missed it, and I know you didn't watch it, but you heard it, seven turnovers. BYU turned the ball over seven times. There was one point in the game when BYU was down by six, and they had turned the ball over five times. They were still in position to win the yes. game. Yes, yes. Yes! Bo Hodge was knocked out of the game. It looked like concussion-like symptoms. Uh, so there's a question as to whether he's going to be able to be ready to go this Friday. The expectation, I think, is that he's not. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, it, I, I said this Saturday. We did a uh, conference special before uh, the first session of LDS General. Yes. I said there's no greater sign of failure within a BYU football season than losing to Utah State. That tells you everything you need to know about how that season goes. Oh, boy. 2010, 2014, 2017 now, the recent losses to Utah State. So, yeah, it, it stinks. And there are some really big picture questions after the game. Who's going to play quarterback Friday? Yeah, who's the fifth string quarterback? <laughs> well, well, the fourth string, Joe Critchlow, is probably oh. getting ready this week just in case. Okay, good. It might be Coyd Etmer Jr., although he didn't really show you anything in his 7-for-20, 91-yard performance. Uh Three interceptions, two pick sixes, right? Mm. One pick six, I guess. Yeah. But um, he's he's like this – yeah, he's there. Is BYU going to go to a bowl game? Uh, the, there's a likelihood that unless BYU really brings it against Boise State and or Mississippi State, BYU will be one and six and needing six straight wins to go to a bowl game. Now, they could win five of the last six, but they will have to have a good academic uh, progress rate, APR, score, to, and uh, a few teams will have to be non-eligible for the bowl games to fill in, blah, blah, blah. It's complicated. Mm. is going to potentially lose six and then have to win six. And Boy. the idea of that is irrational. Yeah. Even though the schedule eases up quite a bit. But BYU right now is not in a great position to think that they're going to win any game at this point. BYU is not it. favored to win at UNLV and at Fresno State, Matt. Are you serious? And UNLV lost to a team called Howard. Yep, hadn't yeah. heard of him either. Yeah. So, yeah, is is BYU that bad? No, but offensively, there are some real issues. It was scoring points before, and then all of a sudden against Utah State, BYU's up 21-7, mm-hmm. looking pretty good. Bo Hodge is slinging it, yeah, he's running. He was getting his groove on. That was good. And he then gets hurt. He gets knocked out. All of a sudden, BYU's running the ball like every play, predictably. Mm. And uh, there's some real real concerns right now. <laughs> Wow. Well, that was so, a blue goggle alternative voice. Right that was that was that was the <laughs> underwhelmed. That was a scared blue goggle. <laughs> that was like, help me. Yeah. So, what's going to be on your show? <laughs> that's that's exactly what it was. <laughs> I, I hope that wasn't that was audio from Bo's hit. 
when Bo nice. got hit in the head. Yeah, we will hope Bo gets better. Was it really? Do like? Do they not announce what the injury was? No, no. BYU will only announce if it's a season-ending injury. Well, that's good news. It's so, not season-ending. Yeah, not season-ending, and it was it was pretty obvious with the eye test. Didn't yes, know where he was. It's. Yeah, I'd be shocked if it weren't a concussion. <laughs> His eyes were crossed. I wish I could have seen it. I just heard it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, tough break. Well, today right on here the show, <laughs> we are right. here to talk you through what BYU does next with okay. ESPN's Trevor Maddich. Is he finding a positive in this? He's generally a guy that can. Got to look hard now. You got to look hard now. Plus our compelling conversation with Steve Young from Saturday. We will re-air that. He had some uh, strong comments about the BYU offense and the mentality of a backup. He might be the most famous backup in football history. Oh, right. Montana. Yeah. Did he ever have a game where he turned the ball over like six or seven times? In fact, he said, yes. he said he probably, he, re- wasn't the, he probably wasn't a very good backup. <laughs> Why did he say that? <laughs> and women's volleyball is in the top ten, and they just took down 17th ranked San Diego on the road. We'll Huge. talk to Kenna Miller, the stud outside hitter for the ladies. Matt, that's where we hang our hat now. That's right. Go to volleyball. BYU Athletics. Go to the most consistent BYU team in the last decade. Not a joke. BYU women's volleyball, including five straight Sweet 16s, and they just picked up another top 20 win. Oh, you got to love that. That's something. It's content. (laughs) It is content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, um, all right. Well, uh, I guess I'll let you guys go. I mean, all right. I don't. I don't know. I mean, we got stuff to do. We got we got rhetorical questions to mm-hmm. answer. Think Pl- about. Plus, you got you got to do some push-ups, right, to get those veins popping. Oh yeah, we got a forty in here that we're just boom, 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 boom. boom. All right, gentlemen, get on it. You're only you're about five and a half minutes away before we hand it over to you. That's BYU Sports Nation. Spencer and Jerem going to get you caught up on everything uh, everything football. It really is. It's kind of it's it's depressing to see the offense struggle so much when. You know, BYU doesn't always seem to have, you know, have a handle on the offense. And how frustrating is that? 21 to 7, they had him. They had him. <sighs> then they only scored three more points after that. And yeah. Utah State scored another, what, 33 points? Yeah, they, they did okay. <laughs> they, they figured out. They figured out the whole. I mean, eventually you have to do more than run. Oh, right? yeah. Especially when we're not a great running team. Because they always know you're going to run because you can't throw. Everybody in my family, though, is convinced that BYU just needs to stop playing Utah State because they follow the same pattern they always do. Just take out one of our players and that'll, yeah. that'll hinder us. But is it, is it, the, is it the, uh, the Aggies are that good at taking out players or is it that we just have that fragile of quarterback? Well, yeah. When or you is don't, it just when that you don't random have caffeine in you? Hit. Well, but now they're caffeinated. <laughs> They're caffeine. We thought the caffeine would make a big difference. And too, too little, too late. Yeah, you're not, you're not, you're not getting out of that. It's, it is what it is. It is what it is. Hey, by the way, a little update for you, um, and not, not a good update, as we've been talking about um, Las Vegas shooting today. Uh, the the death toll now is up to fifty eight people. Fifty eight people have passed away, and injured. Five hundred and fifteen people were injured at the event. This is one lone shooter shooting from um, the from a, a hotel uh, window, shooting down on a on a festival. And actually, twenty two thousand people were in attendance at the festival, and five hundred and fifteen were injured. 
now the the, the largest um, mass shooting in U.S. history. Uh, by the way, and remember, uh, amidst all of that chaos will come some heroes. Uh, tomorrow, I'm sure we'll be finding out more hero stories to give you. But here's another hero story from a quick-thinking school bus driver uh, uh, being hailed a hero after saving elementary st- uh, students from a school bus that caught on fire last Thursday. Uh, video Action 41 Action News obtained sh- uh, videos of flames roaring from the bus engine within seconds consuming the entire vehicle. And it all happened uh, after just 3 p.m. near Grandview Road and Cypress Avenue. At the time, the bus was taking students home from Warford Elementary School. You could see the smoke and fire getting inside the cab of the bus, it said James Davis. Davis uh, then pulled up uh, as the bus driver was evacuating students from the bus. He had backpacks in his arms. He was like getting the kids off the bus really fast, he said. He did really well getting every child off the bus. No one was injured. Um, The Hickman School District uh, said all is well. All is well because of their bus driver, who is now the hero and is the hero on the Matt Townsend show. Thank heavens for people that are willing to just go the extra mile. We see the, the responders as well in Las Vegas, everybody just doing what they can to, to take people to safety. That's the show. My friends, BYU sports nation is up next. 